So another superbike season is in the books and thanks to Jonathan Ray, all of those books are now going to have to be completely rewritten. Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go! This is episode 38 of Bike Live, the Bradley Smith edition, which uh, is kind of odd because that's the only time his name will probably be mentioned in this entire two-hour show. One welcome, everyone, uh, to Bike Live as we look back on the final round of the World Superbike season as the curtain comes down on 2017 in World SBK. And Jonathan Ray ended it in typical fashion with another dominant double as he enters the record books with the most successful World Superbike season of all time, reaching 556 championship points. We'll talk about how he did it and how he closed out another brilliant season. Chaz Davies clinching the runner-up spot too at the expense of Tom Sykes. And we are going to look back on the nail-biter that was the World Supersport title finale. Lucas Mayas finally, finally clinching the title at the expense of the Iron Man of Turkey, Keenan Sofoglu. Both men, though, coming out of that race weekend with enormous credit. We'll talk all about the thrilling finale to what has been an absolutely superb World Super Sports season. Uh, before we go over the course of this show, we'll also look ahead to 2018 as BSB, World Superbike and World Super Sport places on next year's grids have been confirmed this week. Uh, we'll also look ahead to this weekend. It's a weekend of goodbyes as far as commentators are concerned in MotoGP. And of course, it's the weekend where Marc Marquez takes on Andrea Dovizioso for the World Championship in Valencia. We'll look ahead to that at the end of this week's show. Joining me to do all of that, uh, it's Andre Harrison. Welcome along, Andre. Hello, sir. Good, good to be back with you as always. And um, yeah, a lot of points were scored. A lot of records were broken. And well... Only three things in life are certain. Death, taxes, and Jonathan Ray wins races. Um, well, maybe not the second one in the case of Lewis Hamilton. But hey, who's counting? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that brings us neatly on to this week's episode of Motorsport 101. Episode 111. Um, episode entitled Corner Cutting 101, I believe, um, was the title you went with, Dre, um, for this week's episode, um, where um, Lewis Hamilton's off-track exploits perhaps got more talk than his on-track exploits this week. Makes a change, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, I can't possibly tell you what that episode title was a reference to. You'd have to figure it out for yourself. Um, wasn't my idea. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, hey, it, it's like with no major real motorsport to talk about as far as we can besides the six hours of um, something. <laughs> Shanghai, that's the one. Apparently, none of us watched it, so that was really useful. Um, so, besides that, we 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 took a deep dive during the news, opened up the Paradise Papers, had a butchers, found that Lewis Hamilton doesn't pay taxes on his private jet. So we thought, hey, we got all these jokes about Lewis not paying his taxes, all of them. Um, that Felipe Massa's second retirement, Porsche winning the WEC title again, and a whole heap of other stuff, including engine regulations as well. Fun times indeed. Um, a nice little uh, stocking filler, basically, to fill a bit of time before the Brazilian Grand Prix this weekend. So, episode 111 of Motorsport 101 is out right now. Mm, yeah, and uh, don't worry. And those shots of the grandstands out, I don't think many people in Shanghai watched it either. So don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. by the uh, the sort of early form guide of what we've seen so far in Interlagos, um, Lewis Hamilton might get mentioned quite a bit on episode 112 as well. Um, the early yeah. indications are. Um, but that's for next mm -hmm. week. Places you can find us between now and then, though, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. On Twitter, we are at motorsport underscore 101. Um, on YouTube, plenty to view on there, including a Dre beef on Felipe Massa and Dre playing the new Gran Turismo game. 
uh, over on Yay. YouTube right now, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, our website is motorsport101.net. And if you like us so much that you want to back us financially, and if you do so at the $5 level, you earn yourself early access to Motorsport 101 and Bike Live, head to patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 to do just that. Let's get cracking then with the review of last weekend under the lights in Los Isle. And we are going to start in World Super Sport and the championship finale um, between Lucas Mahias and Keenan Safoglu. And... In the end, it was a nail-biter, wasn't it, Dre? It was a season finale. It went, in the end, right the way down to the wire. And we had that jeopardy in the end with Mahias going to battle with Cluzel, where if Mahias and Cluzel had gone down together, Safoglu would have taken the win and the title with it. Um, so there was a bit of jeopardy going down to the final final few metres of the season. But in the end, it went to Mahias. And I think many of us, given the way this season has gone, are delighted, if nothing else, that Lucas Mahias clinched the title in a champion's fashion by winning the race. Yeah, it, it was the best possible ending for what's been a, a, a season of circumstance, really, for Mahias, um, pretty much all year long, where he's had to fight just the cruel nature of Keenan's season, um, his status as the undisputed king of super sports, and, you know, just being somewhat of a victim of said circumstance. And, you know, many have, you know, been quick to point out that Keenan's issues and, you know, declaring Lucas an unworthy champion in inverted commas as a result, and I think that's been somewhat of an unfair thing to say. Um, so I'm glad that Lucas did what he had to do, and no, he didn't just uh, take it easy. He went for the win, he got the win, and he, he won it in style. It was a tremendous fight with Jules Cazelle, um for the win on this occasion. He just about came out on top in the end, and that's that's the way a champion does it. It was a like you would never have guessed Lucas was pretty safe having a 20-point advantage going into the final round if he'd watched that race and taken all the names away, which kind of says it all, really. Um, he really went for it, and yeah, he deserved every minute of that one. So yeah, well, congratulations to Lucas. Yeah, it was, it was good to see, because it was a battle he didn't really need to pick, did he? Given that second, he could have just followed Cluzello and finished second and won the title. Um, and he's finished second quite a lot this year as Mahias. Um, as the way the season's gone. He had those four straight second places um, from uh, Assen all the way through um, to Donington Park. So he's, yeah, he's got used to the second step on the podium this year. But yeah, in true champion's fashion, he wanted to wrap it up with a victory. And, and who can blame him? And yeah, it was it was so nice to see him clinch it in that kind of fashion because he's, he has come under a bit of fire this season. Unfairly so, as you mentioned. And as I say, largely... Um, not his fault. He can't control injuries that take place elsewhere to Keenan Safoglu. He can't control mechanical problems. Um, and it's worth pointing out that Mahias has had his fair share of bad luck this year. He could quite easily have won in Thailand um, the second round of the mm -hmm. season had his engine not blown up for him uh, in that race. Um, he missed out on the win in the first round of the season to Robbie Rolfo in Phillip Island by a hundredth of a second. Um, uh -huh. So he was super close there. Um, he had the injury at Magni Corps where that weekend, of course, remembered is for the even bigger injury that Safoglu suffered. But of course, Mahias injured his wrist that weekend and um, rode through pain to finish fourth um, that weekend. So it's not like Mahias has had a completely trouble-free run through 2017. And quite frankly, Dre, um, as much as it's a shame for Safoglu, injuries are as big a part of motorcycle racing as mechanical misfortune. In the end, that's just the way it goes. Exactly. That's the only way you can do it, man. Like, motorsport is a sport where you just kind of, at least in my opinion, you just have to accept right from the outset, luck will play a bigger factor in this um, than, than most other usual sports. Um, 
And that's how it's going to be. Sometimes other guys are going to get hurt, especially in bike racing, where one crash could effectively end your season or at least put you out for a few rounds. Um, so you, you've got to be you've got to be a little bit careful on, on 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 this here and there. But like motorsport is a game of luck, and sometimes the cards you know you, you get dealt are going to be unfortunate. And you know it, it's it's worked out ever so slightly for my highest on this one. Um, and he's made the best of a bad of a, of a bad situation. And you can't argue with that. I've always said you can only beat who they put in front of you, and it's not Lucas's fault that Keenan's been so dreadfully unlucky and it just wasn't his year this year despite some phenomenal performances like like we expect from Keenan um it's it's just not worked out for him this year and I, I think he'll be the first guy to tell you that um which talks a lot about Keenan as a, as a human being as well as a guy that um you know has, has been dreadfully unlucky as a rider this year so you know Lucas has been unfairly criticized simply for existing this season and that's that's bitterly unfair from what's been a, a, a deserved, worthy championship campaign. And, you know, he deserves all the credit in the world for that. I mean, this is a former stunt rider and a late bloomer in the bike racing scene as it is. And he's able to go into the Super Sports under title in only his second... I think it was, is, this, is this his first full season in, in, in Super Sports class, as well? Yeah, he, he was a sort of stand-in rider, an occasional rider in Stock Thousand last year. Um, he won the French Supersport title, as Greg Haynes mentioned in commentary a couple of years ago, when he won every single race on the calendar um, in that French championship to win that title. And, and yeah, as you say, he's a late bloomer. And yeah, it, it really gets on my wick when I hear people say, oh yeah, but he's not as good as Keenan. I'm like, well, and your point is, I mean, Keenan Safroglu is a five-time World Supersport champion, the greatest rider in the history of this class. Of course he's not as good as him. No one is. Um, so, you know, it's like it's like last year in Formula 1. Nico, no one's arguing that. No, Nico Rosberg is, all things being equal, not as good as Lewis Hamilton, but he still beat him to a world title. You know, that that's, that's just how motorsport goes. He still deserved to win that title like Lucas deserves this one because that's what motorsport is all about. Absolutely. Mechanical misfortune can play a part. Injuries can play a part. Mistakes can play a part. They both made their mistakes this year because let's not forget, Keenan's second injury at Magnum Gold was because he crashed in Super Bowl. That wasn't Lucas's fault. Um, so that it's one of those things. That's just the way no. it goes, unfortunately. And as I say, Lucas Myers clinching the championship with a win was the perfect way to end it because he uh, he rode like a champion in that final race and throughout the weekend because he had taken a dominant pole position uh, on the on the Friday as it was because um, it was a bit yeah, of, a bit of a back, bit of a backwards weekend in Qatar. They, there was a day earlier. Um, they shuffled the weekend forward a day, um, and Mahias dominated qualifying and then won the race by a hair's breadth from Jules Cluzel, uh, who we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, but we can't let this review of the final round pass without talking about the gallant loser uh, in the end, Kinnan Zafoglu, who, uh, along with his five runners-up spots, has now been the runner uh, five championships, has been uh, runner-up twice now in the World Super Box. He was runner-up to Sam Lowe's back in 2013, and... Dre, the guy, I don't think anything we could say here can really do this performance and this, this effort justice um, from Keenan Sofoglu. As I mentioned, five times he's won this title, so the guy has got absolutely nothing to win and nothing to prove to anybody. Um, but with a month-old broken pelvis, which he broke in three places with that crash at Magnicor, he returned to action, declared himself fit for, Magni uh, for the final end in Qatar and finished on the podium. He's unbelievable, isn't he? <laughs> he's 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 unreal. Right, whatever like, you think like, of Keenan Safoglu, you just have to stand up, applaud, and go fair play because none of us could do that. You would never think that a a rider like him that's won five World Supersport titles 
He's not exactly complacent, is he? He's not willing to settle for five. He wants more. Um, like, And that's the only way you can describe someone who had broken his pelvis in three different places just a, just three weeks prior, had declared himself fit, flown out there, and was the fastest man on the track in the second half of that race. Broke that record. And, yeah, broke the, lap, broke the all-time lap record and finished in third, just ahead of Federico Caracazzulo, who has won multiple races this season. So, like, Keenan is unbelievable. Like, like, this effort to try and win that was superhuman. And, you know, what can you say? Like, that was a guy that was willing to do everything to defend his title, including, I'm guessing, riding in a... In a quite ridiculous amounts of pain from uh, a, a, a still recovering pelvis and yeah um i have to applaud him as well for after the race coming off his bike to celebrate with with lucas and uh, um an incredibly noble um sportsman keen and a fantastic ambassador for the series because like it's like um, i hope the adrenaline was still good at that point because he must have been in some pain to hop off the bike by himself like that and and come back over because um yeah he's he's a, he's a better man than me for doing that but yeah a, a a noble sportsman and a classy dude all the way to the end and an incredible effort to try and defend his championship just it it, it, it just wasn't Keenan's year this year just bitterly unlucky with injury with accidents and still nearly won the championship which says a lot about Keenan as a rider he's still the undisputed king of world supersport by any by un, by any measure, but it was just Lucas's year this year. They'll be back swinging next year, no no doubt about that. Yeah, it was Lucas's year. It was Yamaha's year in the end as well. Yamaha winning the championship, but that's the first time they've won the Supersport Championship again since Sam Woes uh, on the Yaknik Yamaha uh, back in 2013. Uh, and yeah, Keenan just could not have done any more uh, than he did. Uh, last weekend, just to get himself out there, and I'm, I'm, I remember seeing some footage of him on the Thursday in first free practice, and the Pichetti team were literally having to lift him onto the bike. You know, he couldn't even get on the bike himself. He couldn't climb on the bike himself, given how much sort of discomfort he was in. And he sort of loosened up as the weekend went on. And you know, adrenaline is as good a painkiller as any, as it turns out in these kind of races um, when a championship's up for grabs. Um, but yeah, the guy couldn't even step on the bike un- unaided uh, on Thursday, and then on on the, on the Saturday night he was smashing the light record and finishing on the podium. Um, which was how many painkillers was he on that day? He was <laughs> off his face on them um, to do that kind of result, um, and yeah, he was he was running on pure adrenaline, as was Jules Cluzel in the end in the final lap of that race, um, and that's the second race in a road race where we've seen Jules Cluzel put it all on the line on the final lap and miss out by a smidge on winning this Grand Prix. Jules Cluzel, quite literally this year, Dre has done everything but win. <laughs> Jules Clazelle is not made of normal human material. Um, like he, he, he is fearless, that man. Like This is the third time he's finished in second place this season. There's his sixth trip on podium, and he's not won, he's not won around this season and only finished 35 off the title, which is crazy given that Keenan has missed so many rounds and Lucas Mahias has been the ultimate benefactor of such bad luck. But Clazell, um again, another near miss in this one. In this case... Like using all of the track and then a bit more to try and beat Mahias over the line didn't quite happen. Um, but like, another great performance from Gazelle. The man is completely fearless. He he's ridiculous, and 
a nice way to bow out in his on his time for Honda. That uh, you know another solid performance in second. This was another guy that just just didn't really have. He's another guy that could have easily won this title, given he, he missed the opening two rounds through through mechanical retirements and just sheer bad luck. He's another guy that could have easily been up there if the cards had fallen a little bit better for him this season, but uh, wasn't to be. And I, I feel bad that Clazelle's not won a race. Like as I said on before, we went in there, how the hell has Clazelle gone winless this year? That that is astonishing for a guy that's been the class of the field for some time but uh just wasn't to be for Brazil this year but still enough a phenomenal effort yeah a phenomenal effort from him he's uh, like, you know and i'm gonna come on to this a bit more in terms of a general point about the super sport championship but in many ways Clazelle embodies the fact that you know they might not necessarily have the same level of talent and, and ability as its equivalent championship in grand prix being moto 2 but if both of them were put side by side, based on this year, certainly I know which one I would rather watch um, in terms of which has been the more entertaining and exciting. Um, and, uh-huh. and, and Cluzel embodies that. He is just he's so <laughs> exciting to watch because he gives, he throws everything at it. He throws the kitchen sink at his racing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, it's his last race um, on a Honda. He is off to the Nerds team next year. Um, and he will be running a Yamaha R6, uh, much like the defending champion next year, uh, Lucas Mahias. Um, Mahias will once again be partnered by Federico Caracasulo, who ended the year fifth in the points tray. And um, it's been a, a bit of a mixed bag of a season for Caracasulo. Two wins, but he's also had five non-scores over the course of this season, she which is, is as many as Keenan Safoglu's had, unbelievably. Um, and he fish, finished fifth in the points. And in the end, though, he did still... Not only did he contribute to his team winning the team's championship, GRT Yamaha, but he also did a bit of a team's job in that he, just as Keenan was on that rampage in the second half of the race, Caracasillo just did enough just to hold him back a touch so he couldn't get on terms with that top two. Caracasillo, he did the team game. He he knew he did what he had to do, protect the title contender at all at all costs. Um, yeah, he did exactly that. Like, you can't ask for more than that out of um, Caracasulo. And he's another guy that I think that could have been up there challenging for the championship if if he, you know, if he kept his bike up right a bit more often. He'd have been right up there. He had he had the ability and the pace to to be right up there with the front on multiple occasions. Um, but yeah, as you, as you say again, like he, he didn't he wasn't eligible to win the title, so he did he played the team game and he played the team role very, team role very very well indeed. Did what he had to do to take the win, well not take the win but take the win off of Keenan and just hold him up just enough to make sure Mahias could deal with his own fight with Clazell and not have to worry about Keenan, who as I said was the fastest man on track at the end at the end of that race. Um, and did what he had to do to get the job done, and he did just that. Mm, he did. Here's how the final race panned out then. Lucas Mahias, the winner of the race and the title from Cluzel, beating Cluzel by 23 thousandths of a second over the line in that long run to the finish line out the last corner at La Salle. Um, Kinan Sofoglu, a heroic third. Caracasulo, fourth. Anthony West, who was uh, Sofoglu's teammate for the weekend, in fifth. Nicky Tooley for the front row, sixth. Ahead of his teammate, Sheridan Marias. Luke Stapleford on the Triumph, eighth. Gino Ria, ninth. And Kyle Smith, who had won the previous two races to take place in La Salle um, back in 2015 and 16. Couldn't make it a hat-trick. He finished in 10th position. Final championship points then. Mahias, the champion, um, on 190 points. He wins the championship by 29 from Keenan Safoglu. And incidentally, those first two races that Safoglu didn't score in, Mahias scored 20 points. So he was still, if the championship had started in Aragon, Mahias would have still beaten Safoglu by nine points. Clazell mm. ends the season in third. Um, he was 10 points, uh, sorry, six points behind uh, Safoglu in the end. Sheridan Marias in fourth. 
Of course, he was a championship contender up until the final three rounds when his season kind of petered out. Kyle Casulo fifth. PJ Jacobson on the MB Augusta, sixth. Um, he's another rider who might wish that this season had gone a little bit better than it did. Uh, Nicky Tooley, seventh. Ant West, eighth. Carl Smith, ninth. And the top ten in the championship was rounded out by the triumph of Luke Stapleford. And, Drake. Uh, since we've got a bit of time on this show, given that there's no Supersport 300 and there's no uh, BSB, there's no more GP from last weekend to talk about, um, it's a bit of an opportunity for us to do a bit of a mini review of this Supersport season. Um, and as I mentioned, Cluzel in many ways embodies a, a championship that might not necessarily have the ultimate top-level world-class riders that have nat naturally tend to gravitate towards the Grand Prix paddock. But I would argue that pound for pound... World Supersport has provided as much entertainment and drama as just about any other sport on two wheels this year. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, like, who who cares? Like, quite frankly, if there's no name value in it. I mean, World Supersport 300 has been fantastic this year. And who, like, did, could, could you name me a dozen riders in that field going into the start of this season? Probably not. But Supersport 300 was fantastic this year. And it's the same deal here. Yeah, sure. You, you can you can nitpick rider quality till the cows come home. Like they can't all be winners. And that's part of the beauty of Supersport. You get you get to see new stars get made. And Lucas Mahias was as again a guy that's this is his, I mentioned it before, it's his first full year in the class and he's won the championship. Like isn't that kind of what you want in motorsport? Didn't you want to see new stars come up through 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 the ladder and through the chain and, you know you want to see new guys and let's be frank, if Keenan had won his sixth title at Canter this year, we'd all be calling it boring. Um, well, I, know, I know certain fans will be calling it boring, that's for sure, because other people are just have that narrow-minded mentality. If the dominant guy wins, that means that you know it can't be a good race or it can't be a good championship. We've, we've been spoiled in super sport this year. We had from the early rise of Robbie Rolfo yes. to the chaos to the chaos of Thailand and you know, every top tier runner not finishing. You know the the return of Keenan winning five out of six in the middle of the season. Lucas Mahias doing Lucas Mahias things all pretty much all year long. Caracasulo's had a couple of fantastic performances. You know, Nicky Tooley came out of nowhere to win in Magni Core in fantastic fashion. Um, you know, Carl Smith going crazy in Thailand again. I mentioned before as well. Like when he he can get disqualified, that was fun. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's it, it's been a very very entertaining um, year this year in world in in, in world super sport, and it, it, it's 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 been very very fun. And like the action has been fantastic, and like I, I don't see how anybody could have any complaints about that. I think it's been very, very good, and you know it, it, it's a season that's told its own story, and you know there's a story of of new stars being created and Keenan just establishing just how brilliant a rider he is um, when it when it mattered most, and you know that's what's made this season so captivating. Yeah, there are, there are so many races in this sport season that um, I would happily watch again, and yeah, you mentioned the first two, and I'm going to mention. Those again they were absolutely crackers it was back when we were repeatedly calling this the batshit crazy series yes. um, of motorcycle racing um, and that first race um was incredible i mean it, it, we've seen since that it's impossible to have a bad race around philip island most gp has proven it um in uh, the last month or so and um, with the battle of the island that we had over there but an incredible race uh, in that first round where Again, it was almost a case of last man standing in that one where we had the collision two corners from home where Caracasulo torpedoed poor Jules Clazelle out of the race and with a couple oh, of yeah. corners from home. And then we had the uh, the drag race to the line where Lucas Mahias nearly put Robbie Rolfo flat out on the grass on the run to the finish line. Um, and Robbie Rolfo, at the um, tender old age of 58, winning uh, his first world championship level Grand Prix. 
um, for nearly 10 years. Did you say 58 for a second there? That's how happy we were, weren't we, to see? It was the, it was, yeah. it was the feel-good story of the first half of this year. Yeah, the, the, could Robbie Rolfo win the championship? Yeah, the you know? city of motorcycle Fun. racing. <laughs> that was fantastic to be fair um i was very proud of that one um yeah robbie rolfo coming out of nowhere to win in philip island and then just see if he could cling on to that championship lead throughout the year and ended up losing his job by, by mid-season yeah poor guy um, uh, we then went to thailand and um yeah a, a very different kind of batshit crazy race because this was more a case of just anyone who is everyone dropping out of it um, we had Nicky Tooley who went off on the first lap, dropped to the back of the field, still came through to finish on the podium, um, amazingly. Um, we had uh, Lucas Mahias suffering a blown engine, which took him out of contention. We had Jules Clozel also having a mechanical problem mid-race when he looked set for victory. Uh, we had Kyle Smith having a kind of crusade, a tirade through the second half of the race, even though he wasn't really there because he'd been disqualified um, for failing to take a ride-through penalty. Um, we had the Thailand uh, rookie, the uh, sorry, the wildcard, Decha Kryzart, who ended up finishing second in that race and very nearly would have won it had Carl Smith not carved him up on the final lap, having been disqualified. Mm -hmm. And the race ended up being won by Federico Caracasulo, one of his two wins for the year. Uh, moving on to Aragon, we saw Lucas Mahias finally take his first win in a photo finish with Sheridan Marias before Keenan Safoglu finally returned. Well, he returned to Aragon, but crashed out of that one. Um, and then went on his turn, starting at Aston, where he won uh, four races uh, on the spin. Um, and as I say, Dre, even when Safoglu returned, we still had exciting racing um, as, as, as it panned out there. And I don't know how much of this was Mahias in the second half of this season just doing what he had to do. Again, again, I use the Nico Rosberg analogy, kind of similar to that where... Nico Rosberg, in the closing stages of 2016, did what he had to do. He didn't try and race Hamilton, really. He just did what he had to do and took the second places because he knew that would be enough. Mm -hmm. um, and in many ways, I think Lucas Mahias was just doing the sensible championship thing through the middle stage of the season. Look, if I can't finish Keenan, let's take the 20 points on offer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why gamble and potentially have a DNF and then you've opened the door for Keenan to really punish you? Um, because... Again, Lucas didn't take full advantage of Keenan not scoring in the first three rounds. I mean, because Lucas had a failure and didn't didn't finish in Thailand himself, so he had to be a little bit more careful. And yeah, he did the right thing. He he went he went into point scoring mode, and that's hardly a bad thing. Consistency often is what wins you championships. So. Yeah, for me, I think Lucas absolutely went about it the right way. They just get, just do what you've got to do more than anything else. And you know, you're like Keenan is an incredibly hard man to beat on his day, and anything you can do, you know, to protect your championship lead is ultimately the right move. And yeah, finishing in second, I think is a pretty safe bet. Yeah, it was, and uh, Keenan would uh, go on to win. At the Lausitz ring in a, in a victory that was, uh, did a little bit, oh, sorry, he finished second there to Marias in a result that owed a little bit to, to Fortune, given that we had a red flag there where Caracasulo crashed out, it's not if you've heard that one before, and took out his own teammate um, towards the end of that race. Marias was credited with third in that one, given that the red flag would, uh, counted back a lap and Marias was still in third place the lap before. Magni Korakos was where the title took its decisive turn as Safoglu suffered that horrendous high side uh, in Super Bowl, which uh, ended up breaking his pelvis in three places and ruled him out of both that race and the following race at Jerez. Um, Mahias going into championship mode again, being a bit cautious, finished fourth in Magni Kor, having had a rubbish start, and then fifth at Jerez. 
um, when he was basically racking up the points and setting himself up to win it at La Salle, which he did with that nail-biting finale beating Jules Clazel. Uh, across the line by just 23 thousandths of a second and winning the championship by 29 points. Congratulations to Lucas Mahias, the 2017 Super Sport World Champion. Right then, to World Superbikes next and the Premier Class in the Superbike paddock and the Premier Rider unquestionably this year has been Jonathan Ray and he's fast Ray making an argument to be the Premier Rider in the history of the Superbike World Championship because he has claimed for himself another all-time record. We can now officially, Dre, say this has been, from Jonathan Ray, the greatest World Superbike campaign ever. But you already knew that pretty much at this point. Um, <laughs> it's but, nice uh, he has the record yeah. to back it up, though, isn't it? Yeah, Given how he, he is... should have had it two years ago. Yeah, he really should. So, yeah, I, I have no complaints about this. I'm, I'm glad he's finally gotten there. Um, he's he's been tremendous. This like you gotta stop me if you've heard that one before. He's just been like ridiculous all year long, and you know he doesn't he, he doesn't tend to go that well in Qatar, and it, it just didn't matter. Um, just another ridiculous performance. You know, takes the double, takes the he had to, he had to get the double. There was no wiggle room on that. It had to be double to get the record or bust, and of course he got it. So. Yeah, um, it's it's just been that sort of season for him, really. Just a ridiculous, ridiculous level of achievement. And, you know, he absolutely deserves it. There's nothing more you can say that hasn't already been said on this show about Jonathan Ray. This this is the, one of the greatest biking seasons I've ever witnessed. And, you know, to, to go, to, I think it was 16 wins out of 26 races this season mm. against that quality of field, it's it's utterly ridiculous it's unfathomable um in, in in modern day bike racing for someone to be that dominant but he's done just that he's he's been incredible yeah absolutely incredible absolutely incredible he's dominated up against Chaz davies who has proved himself many many times to be the equal of jonathan ray on the right day with the right equipment he's got his teammate who is a world champion in his own right um who he's basically taken to the cleaners for the last three years um at kawasaki um, and yeah, it's almost like since the summer break, Dre, I don't know what it is, but even by Jonathan Ray's own high standards, he seemed to hit a new level of dominance because even in the early stages of the season when he was doing, he was taking doubles, he was winning races, he wasn't quite this strong, was he? We've seen him in Qatar, which of course was around that, a circuit that, as you mentioned, Jonathan Ray doesn't have the greatest of records, nor did Kawasaki. They had never won here prior to this weekend um, when, John, mm -hmm. when Jonathan Ray cleaned up. But Jonathan Ray, he took pole position by six-tenths of a second on the Friday night from Alex Lowe's and then cleaned up in both races. And as I say, ever since this, the, the, the summer break, he seems to have just taken a another step forward, if it seemed possible, where he's not just winning races, but he's absolutely trouncing them. Yeah, it's... <laughs> you know, it, it says a lot when Jonathan himself described it as living the dream because, it, like, he was racing in fantasy land like, compared to everybody else. It's like, he's just found another level now where he he's now favourite to win practically anywhere now. Mm. Like, there's... There's no other way of describing it. He is just the—he the, is the favorite now to win every given round on the table. It's—he's just that good. It's—it's it's as simple as that. And yeah, like he's, he just—he just keeps finding new ways to get better and better. He's completely dominated this weekend. No one else was was no one else was, was in the same vicinity as him, or like this weekend. And he's—he won both races without a threat. 
And yeah, all time re- all time points record as a bonus prize. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> he breaks the 15 year old record set by Colin Edwards uh, in 2002. Colin Edwards, who finished that year on 552 points for the year, and um, amazingly, still only won that championship by nine points um, from Troy Bayliss um, in the the great 2002 season, uh, where the two of them, Edwards and Bayliss, won every single race between them, bar one. Um, in that amazing championship. Um, but yeah, Jonathan Ray, is now he now claims on his own the all-time World Superbike points record and the third highest points total for a season of all time, which of course was that 2015 season where he would have broken the record and beaten a set record that even this year he'd have struggled to match had he finished that final race uh, in Qatar when his bike packed up um, and left him stranded on 5-4-8. Um, and he now is only five away, Dre, from the all-time World Superbike wins record. Um, set by Carl Fogarty on 59 race wins. So basically, round three of next year, and Johnny Ray's probably going to have that one sewn up too. Um, I mean, he he's going to genuinely, and we've said this before, but by the time Jonathan Ray's finished, because there's a number of years left in him yet, surely this trajectory, we're going to be talking about the greatest world superbike racer of all time. Yeah, like the last three years has got him cemented as a top five level all time sort of. Right, like we're, we're going to be having that conversation. If he wins a fourth straight title next year, we're going to be having a very serious conversation about this now. Fogarty, yeah. Be, yeah, to, be, like, to not only beat Fogarty, but to win it four years in a row. Yeah, um, yeah just, just, just you, might, you might as well start building the plinth in the Hall of Fame for him now. Like, I almost want to see him in MotoGP now because mm. it's almost a waste. Because, <laughs> yeah. Because people, I, I don't think enough people appreciate just how just how ridiculous this is from Jonathan Wright. It's why I've been saying, listen, get that man a Sports Personality of the Year nomination, please. Because, like, what more does he have to do to get his to get recognition? Because what I know, world is not what it was twenty years ago in terms of popularity um, on a on a global level. Yeah, because I, like, I think we'd both agree, Jay, wouldn't we? That and I know we we follow World Super Whites perhaps more closely than many people in the Grand Prix paddock. So some people sure. might laugh when we say this, but. When you're talking about the guys like, pound for pound, Mark Marquez, Andrea Davizioso, Valentino Rossi, Maverick Vidales, Jorge Lorenzo, for me, Jonathan Ray belongs in that conversation. He belongs in that class of rider. Yeah, why not? Like, why, 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 like what argument could you make that he isn't in that category, if you ask me? Because I think he's there. I think, like, like I, I think you could walk him into MotoGP with the right setup and he'd be an immediate midfield runner. Um, maybe better on the right machine. Um, I, I just, the guy, the guy is fantastic. The guy is pound for pound as good a black rider as anyone on this planet today. Um, and the, this this partnership has been magical. Uh, him at Kawasaki, and we've always saw flashes of him when he was struggling with Honda, and you know that, that the, he was promised a MotoGP seat back then. Mm. Like like Livio Super was like, no, just just wait. That's I why promise we'll give you. Yes, because he because he, he was promised a MotoGP seat, and then oh. Mark Marquez and Casey Stoner came along. Kind of a problem. Um, and but, Jonathan Ray, uh, understandably, didn't want to ride a production slash open bike. And indeed. you can't blame him. Uh, I can't blame him because, I mean, you'd be looking at, what, top eights at best, realistically. Um, so, yeah, he, he made the right decision for me going to Kawasaki. He's now the face of Kawasaki as a global brand. He's the face of World Superbikes Super as a sport. And, you know, I'm finally just starting to see a little bit of national attention for Jonathan Ray come through after he after him being just so ridiculous for World Superbikes this year. I'm glad people are starting to take notice because he deserves all the plaudits right now. He's destroying people. Mm. And 
rightly so. Yeah, and well, I mean, it's yeah, he's certainly getting attention within his part of the United Kingdom, as you'd expect in Northern Ireland. I mean, I remember when Northern Ireland played um, a World Cup qualifier, um, which like went slightly better than the one they played last night. Um, and, and and they um, yeah, um, there's one referee who's going to get uh, death threats next time he turns, touches down in Ulster. Um, but, <laughs> but, but but I digress. Um, yeah, Jonathan Ray was basically introduced to the crowd um, before their last home qualifier prior to the playoffs, and yeah, the whole the whole stadium was on their feet for Jonathan Ray. And um, I regularly listen to a podcast on the BBC Five Live um, called Fighting Talk, and they had a live show. Oh, yes. They had a live show in Belfast. Um, last month, and they had a question, um, which all the audience participated in. Um, who is the greatest current uh, Northern Irish sportsman? Um, and one of the panel put forward Jonathan Ray, and the whole um, auditorium applauded. Um, so he is beloved. He is a national hero in Northern Ireland, and yeah, he deserves more recognition um, across the United Kingdom. And yeah, hopefully he will start to get that. Um, I think in many ways he's not so much a victim of. Um, his own success. He's a victim of the uh, reduced popularity of World Superbikes as it's yeah. gone on. I mean, if World Superbikes was, I mean, we're talking about World Superbikes and that record he's broken of, of Colin Edwards. That was when World Superbikes was in its pomp back in 2002. Uh, if, Jonathan, yeah. if, Jonathan Ray was do, if Jonathan Ray was doing what he was doing now back then, I think you could pretty much give him the trophy now. Of course, James Toseland made the top three one year um, back in 2007 for the for the sports personality. Um, so it shows that it's not a case of that championship isn't taken as seriously anymore. It's just not so many people know of its existence anymore. Um, Ireland, get behind this man. Yeah, <laughs> the guy is as good a motorcycle rider as you will see anywhere on the planet right now. Um, and he proves it week after week. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, he now has another all-time record to next to his name. 556 points, the greatest total ever in a World Superbike season, breaking that 2002 record, which was set in as many races. Um, it's not like many of the current records in other sports where they become a little more difficult to quantify given there are more races in a season. Um, that's not the case in World Superbikes. It's an identical length of championship as it was in 2002, and Jonathan Indeed. Ray has beaten that record. Um, it's There's been clear daylight really all year between him and the battle for second in the World Championship, and uh, yeah, Chaz Davies ends up finishing one spot behind um, Jonathan Ray in the championship, but ends up finishing thick end of 150 points behind him uh, in the World <laughs> Championship. Um, but he does finish second, Ray. Second time in three years, Chaz Davies ends the season as the runner-up in the championship. And uh, really, even though he's not a close second, Chaz Davies finishing second in the championship just sounds about right. It does sound right. Chaz is the number two guy in this championship for me. And, you know... the. There's only so much you can. There's only so much you can say really about Chaz, and there's so much you can do when Jonathan is just that good on a bike that's that good. Like, what can you do really? All you can do is just try your best and see what falls your way. And Chaz, you know, we know what the story. It's the same old story of him. It's a matter of him having to override the bike at times to try and get any sort of pace out of it, to try and get any sort of result out of it in the long run. It's just, it's just not really worked out for him um this year again he's had to again had to overcompensate and it's that's what i think ultimately cost him overall but again you, you can't ask for much more than what he's done really if, if he did he'd be crashing half a dozen rounds a year really and he hasn't he's he's done the very best he's, he's he could and he deserves points for that. i mean tom sykes is, a, is a still a formidable rider 
on 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 many levels. And again, he's 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 beaten Tom Sykes over a season on the best bike in the field. So you can't ask for much more than that. Chaz is, is a phenomenal rider, and he's only going to get better as time goes on. And I think he will eventually find a way to get there. It's just going to be a matter of how long. Maybe the concessions will come into play um, in future, but. Um, yeah, it's just it's just been it's just it's a bad hand when you're dealing with an all time great yeah. in front of you. That, that's what we that's what we're looking at here, and that's that's the unfortunate nature of sports. Sometimes it can be cruel. Mm, yeah, it can. Ches Davis ended the year on four hundred and three points for the season, which you can go back through the history of World Superbikes, and there are seasons in World Superbike history where that total would have won you the t- title outright. Um, as it is, Ches Davies finished second, one hundred and fifty three points behind the winner. Um, of Jonathan Ray, um, which just, it's just not fair, no, is it? It just sounds unfair that Chas Davies, with a pretty solid points haul for a year, ends up um, 153 points off the champion um, in second place. And no moment really last weekend, Dre, epitomised how hard Chas Davies has tried this year. Then the moment where that cow, that Ducati tried to buckaroo him off the bike going through turn five, and Chas Davies literally smashed his screen up trying to keep control. Yeah, but the elbow threw it, poor guy. Um, that, that must have hurt a bit. I heard the adrenaline kicked in quite nicely there for him. But yeah, as you say, I mean, again, that was peak Chaz Davis right there, having to, you know, do, again, just do what he had to do. And that's just anything to keep the bike upright. And uh, oof, that was that was a that was a close one. That was a that was a big near miss on on, on that one. Um, but uh, one of the saves of the season by by any measure. Oh, mm. That was a massive, that was a whopper. <laughs> yeah, Chaz Davies hanging on to it. And uh, two second places in the end for him um, to round up the season. And an incredible start. He made Jonathan Ray look a bit tardy on that first lap of uh, race two. He was uh, eighth on the grid for race two and was leading by turn two, <laughs> which was incredible, incredible start. <laughs> That Chaz Davies like Moses passing the Red Sea. Yeah, he just went <laughs> clean around the outside of seven guys at turn one uh, to take the lead, which was incredible. Um, and in the end, that moment where he very nearly um, high-sided it and ended up punching his screen, trying to keep control, that cost him the lead to Jonathan Ray. A lead he wouldn't get back. Third in the championship in the end then for Tom Sykes, who lost that runner-up spot um, to Chaz Davies. Um, not his greatest weekend in Qatar, and um, that's not the first time we've said that about Tom Sykes in the history of World Superbikes. Um, and... It's clear circuit he doesn't seem to like. He didn't seem to have a, a pretty... Well, he didn't like his rear tyre, let's put it that way. His rear tyre was causing him grief in race one, which cost him uh, a lot of time. Finished sixth. And then a very rare Tom Sykes crash um, in race two, which really put paid to any hopes of finishing second in the championship. Um, MCN simply says, not his weekend, not his season. Um, and I think that just about covers it, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I gave King the same treatment. I'm going to say the same thing to you, Lewis. What's up with your mans? Um, just, it's just not been Tom's year, has it? I mean, again, uncharacteristic Tom Sykes mistakes. Um, factor that in with, you know, just, again, you're dealing with an all-time great. bike, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, you're, you're talking about the nearest thing Walter Bikes has to God at the moment on, on the other end of the screen. And, yeah, you know... <laughs> It's when when the other guy is that good, it's going to force you to to do things that you wouldn't normally do, um, and you know take risks you probably wouldn't normally take. He, but hey, he's still the king of Super Bowl. That's got to count for something, right? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that he'll have that all time record um, to himself sometime next year. Um, well, Tom Sykes, and he is fifth outright. This again this is a measure of what Jonathan Ray's doing at the moment. Tom Sykes is equal fifth in the uh, all time World Superbike race wins column. 
Um, only Fogarty, Ray, Bayliss and Harger have more World Superbike race wins than Tom Sykes does. Um, and he's been made to look, frankly, average um, on the same bike by Jonathan Ray. It's just a measure of, again, what Johnny's doing at the moment um, in World Superbikes. And Tom Sykes is going to have to go again next year when he stays with Kawasaki. He'll be partnering Jonathan Ray for the fourth season in a row. Um, and he's going to have to try and, try and find some way of, um, I don't know, arresting this slide and... Um, bridging that gap between himself and Jonathan Ray and making a championship of it. Of course, Jonathan Ray has had um, his own fair share of misfortune. Tom Sykes, of course, has had his injuries, which have uh, kind of curtailed his second half of the season. Of course, we didn't see him at all at Porter after that heavy crash, which ruled him out there. Hasn't really mm-hmm. been fully fit since. Um, but even so, he's been very much second best within that Kawasaki team. And he ends the season third in the World Championship on 373 points, a full 183 behind the world champion, his teammate on the same bike. Um, the Yamahas ended up being the best of the rest behind the Kawasaki's and the Ducati's. Um, and in many ways, they deserve to round this season off with a podium. Alex Lowe's got it um, and ended up winning Dre, the private battle, which we'd been teeing up all season between Alex Lowe's and Michael van der Mark, two of the most exciting younger riders in the World Superbike um, Championship as a whole. Um, and in the end, Alex Lowe's, in a season which we said at the start of the year, was a bit of a make-or-break campaign for Alex Lowe's. He's ended up coming through the end of it with his reputation enhanced. Yeah, he's come off of it very well. I, I think this was a fair outcome. Um, and again, he came to that battle. I think Lowe's has been the better rider compared to Van der Mark this year. And I think just. the points just about reflect that. I think I think what we got was a pretty fair outcome in the end. And uh, yeah, um, I almost wish a certain Rebecca James was here so I could find a cheesy way of, of mocking her for it still. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, unfortunately, I can't throw any shade on this time yet. Yeah, she's coming but, back, uh, Mr. She's coming back. Yeah, soon, soon. You like, like when, if, you, if you see a stiletto stick out of my neck, you know what's happened. That's always the sign. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah soon. Or, or a kangaroo with boxing gloves laying a fist on him. Um, that, 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 <laughs> believe me, that reference does actually make a bit of sense in context. But we'll, uh, we'll let Bex explain that in the future. Um, <laughs> she's, She's part-time Australian now, you see. Yeah, she's uh, yeah, she yeah, she, spent a a month, she spent a month down under her and uh, yeah, has uh, brought a bit of Australia back with her. Uh, we'll let her explain that when she returns. Um, but yeah, it, it's fair to say. I mean, we, we we shouldn't be too overboard. I think here with Yamaha, we don't want this to be another false dawn with them. Because let's not forget, they were on the podium in Qatar last year, um, the courtesy of Sullivan Gattoli. Um, but there can be no doubt, Dre, that they have closed the gap this year. Um, have Yamaha, and although Alex Lowe's did compete for victory. Uh, in Philip Island at the opening round of the season, by and large, um, and if you look at other circuits where it's less easy to follow, they were a bit of a distance behind at the start of the season, and there's no doubt that they have closed that gap as the season has gone on. I mean, Vandermark could have won at Mizano had circumstances gone his way there, um, and his tyre stayed on the rim. Um, and Alex Lowe's, on merit, got himself onto the front row of the grid, split the Kawasaki's uh, on Friday night in Qatar, and then finished third in that second race, ahead of his team at Vandermark, ahead of Marco Melandri, and would have probably beaten Tom Sykes had he been on the road. He beat him in race one before he fell off as well. Um, Indeed. So Yamaha definitely making strides towards Kawasaki and Ducati. And as Greg Haynes and James Whittam said, they're probably the factory with most to gain through these rule changes for next season. So there's plenty of reason for the Rebecca James-led Alex Lowe's fan club to be kind of excited about next year. 
They have reason to be optimistic. I would say that. I think I completely agree with what Greg and and and, and James were saying on on, on commentary. Um, shout out to all the British Euro Sport crew, but they've done a great job all season long. Um, and it's, and yeah, uh, I completely agree that I think Yamaha do stand to have the most to gain from all this. They really do. Um, you know, like they they are the, the team that's right behind Kawasaki and Ducati, and the, those are the guys that will be most likely brought up the most to try and you know, make them more of a threat. The Yamaha R1, R1 is a proven, you know, competitive bike in the right hands. Um, the riders so, are ready. Yeah, the riders are ready for it. Lowe's you know, is more than capable, of, I think, of challenging the four wins in the right circumstances. So, yeah, what's not to like about that camp right now? Like, there's a... Like there's there's good reason to be very excited about what about about what's coming in in that camp, especially with the rules changing. Just don't do that to Kawasaki; they're not exactly best pleased. <laughs> no, although given that Jonathan Ray won the championship as early as he did this year, he and the team have already been uh, sort of adjusting their program with next year in mind. So perhaps they may be the best prepared for these rule changes next year anyway over at Kawasaki. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll follow that as uh, next season gets underway in February. Uh, at Phillip Island. Um, a podium in race one to Marco Melandri. He uh, ended the year with a bit of a, a bit of a quiet second race, finishing only sixth in that second race from the third row of the grid. He just didn't really make that progress through the field. Um, but as I say, podium in race one, right? and it's been a solid enough season for him, hasn't it? We, we shouldn't forget that this guy's been really out of the game for a couple of years. Um, returned to the sport, not the easiest teammate to return up against, Chaz Davies. Um, but Michael Melandri has had, it almost sounds like we're damning him with fake praise, but he's had a solid enough season, because one at Mizano, and uh, a good base for him to build on for next year. I'd say so. I mean, the, the goal of Ducati this year with Marco was basically have a rider who is good enough to take points out of Kawasaki, and he did do that on many occasions this year. Um, probably not enough to make us to make a, a a tremendous dent in the championship as time went on, but you got to start somewhere. And like, I think he's been very solid this season. And again, I know one of those guys that you know in in, in the state of world superbike now, with with three elite riders around him right now, what more could you really ask him to do? Three hundred and twenty-seven points. Okay, he was seventy-six behind his teammate. Not wonderful, but Chaz is their leading man, and we know Chaz is their leading man. So, you know, that was kind of to be expected. I think I don't think Marco could could do much more with what he's been given, to be honest with you. I think he's done a, a, a fine job. He's he's played an excellent support role. He's been on the podium a good dozen times this year. Had the one win in Misano as well um, as a bonus. Um, and then a, a historically significant win for Ducati as a brand and manufacturer. And yeah, he, he's done what he's had to do. He's done a professional job. He's kept his head down. And for the most part, he's performed adequately well. I mean, certainly he brings the consistency to the table that David Giordano lacked last year. And I think that's been the critical thing for Ducati. I think the issue for them now is finding a way to improve upon that and then maybe having Marco challenge for a few more wins and be able to run a bit closer to Chaz more frequently. I think that should be their next step. Mm. And as you mentioned, he um, yeah up against three elite riders, and he plays a key role in the championship, given that he's up against three elite Brits. Um, so to have a, an Italian villain up against them, um, and uh, I mean that in all um, good faith to Melandri, because he's a bit of a sort of pantomime villain in many ways uh, in World Superbikes. Um, he's he's a key ro- he's a key rider and a key ca- character and key personality 
uh, for this championship, and he, he plays that role very, very well. Um, just to ask Eugene Laverty on that one. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a good point you make. If he, he In terms of his role in the championship, it's, it's probably not unreasonable to say that had Marco Melandri not been Chaz Davis's teammate, had it still been Giuliano, Chaz might not have finished the season as the championship runner-up. Um, because there's been a, right. num- a number of races this year where Melandri has beaten Tom Sykes. Just take Magdi Core race one, for instance, where they had that great last lap battle, which Melandri won. Um, that immediately took four points away from Tom Sykes, which helped Chaz Davies. Of course, it's not the spot that Chaz Davies, not the Kawasaki that Chaz Davies wants Melandri to be taking the points off. Um, but as it is, Jonathan right. Ray is just far too good for them. Um, so, yeah, there's very little that you could expect. Melandri to have done more in this year. Um, as I say, given that he's been out of the sport really for a couple of years, he's done a very, very good job uh, in 2017. He ends the year fourth overall. Um, it was a standout weekend of sorts for another Ducati rider in Qatar, Xavi Forres, um, who has qualified on the front row in, in Qatar before, back when he was a standing for an injured Davide Giuliano two or three years back at La Style. Um, but a good weekend for Forres and much like his season, Dre, it didn't really get the results it deserved. No, it didn't. And I think Xavi's been like the, maybe the most underappreciated rider in the field this year. He's been immense. Again, consistently in the top six for a good half the calendar at least. Um, the best of the rest. I mean, the, the, the big three stand out, obviously, as, um, you know, Ray Davies, Sykes, Melandry, Lowe's, Vandermark. But out of everybody else, Lowe, um, you know, Forrest has, has been right there. He's, yeah, on a satellite Ducati. Give that man a, a European-flavoured paperweight. Uh, yes. a way Thank you for your seventh-place finish. Um, like, again, again, like, he, he finished 27 points behind Vandermark in the end. And Savi had a couple of really unlucky It's like basically having his nuts set on fire in Aragon, basically, which wasn't ideal. Mm. Um, and he, he, he could have very easily been up a little bit closer with those two as well. So yeah, had, a mechan- a very, had a mechanical whilst running in the podium positions at Misano, and then had another mechanical while running in the podium spots in Qatar. Those are two rostrum finishes that Forres would probably have had this year, but for that. And yeah, as you mentioned, he's he's done a very, very good job, and the results don't necessarily reflect how good he's been this year, um, Chavi Forres. Um, he ends the year seventh overall. Um, the Aprilias have been kind of underwhelming this year. They've flattered to deceive at many stages of this season. Um, and... It sounds like a good news story that they had their best result of the season in race one in Qatar, Dre, but it's kind of a measure of how poor a previous season has been, that their best result of the season was fourth and fifth. Yeah, this like this is this has been a season of disappointment for a pretty. I think they expected a lot more going into this season, and you know, the like the, the, I think the race twos have often flattered them this this year as well. Um I mean, Laverty 10th overall, Savadori 11th, and they're like the probably the bottom of the real regular top runners um, because you look at the guys beneath from Roman Ramos, who's never going to have the machinery for it, Mercado, who missed six races this year, Bradle, who you know didn't race at all uh, after the Laos and swing his home round. And yeah, of all of all the full time regulars in there that are on decent machinery, a pretty was at the bottom, which kind of says it all, really. Um, the only manufacturer really that they were better than were Honda. Yeah, and we all know about Honda's disastrous season on and off the track. So, 
Yeah, it's 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 been a very disappointing season for for, for a pretty. And I think I think they expected a lot more. Things I think they've got one of the better lineups in Eugene Laverty and Lorenzo Salvador. was a great rookie last year. Laverty is a proven race winner of experience and, and in in multiple forms of, of, of motorcycle racing. I expected a lot more out of this team uh, this year, and it, it's it's been disappointing that they've ended up. Uh, metaphorically shit in the bed because like this, this, I think they expected a lot more than this and yeah it's just not worked out for them this year yeah it didn't work out for them Laverty uh, as Dre mentioned the race two grids have kind of flattened Laverty was on pole for race two and finished a rather distant seventh in the end um, in that one uh, Savadori's bike packed up in that second race which uh, put, penny, put paid to any hopes he had of ending the year with a solid result they'll be hoping for much more next year there's already been a bit of a technical reshuffle at that team as well over at Milwaukee, the um, long-running uh, team manager, Mick Shanley, uh, has been given his P45. So, um, yeah, there'll be, a, a, we, we gather, more Aprilia personnel moving into that team uh, for next year as they try and move their way up the grid. Um, a rider in the past who's had success on Aprilia, and success actually in Qatar, is Jordi Torres. Um, this time, I was about to say, he didn't hit the same heights this time, but Dre, he hit the heights of a different kind, didn't he? Um, sadly, they were the literal heights and yeah. not the metaphorical ones. Um, that race too, he had a hellacious yeah. crash. Um, like again, he was limping away. Turns out, I think he had a contusion on his hip as a result of that accident. It wasn't. Um, it 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 wasn't pretty to say the least. Um, on that one, um, it's a shame really because I, I think Torres has been great this year. I really do. I mean, he's been running up there with Camille and Flores all year long. Um, at BMW again, we've we've made clear that BMW don't really care about world two bikes. They'll just give you a bike and tell you, "Ah, I have done with it." Mm. And I'll tell you, you know, have have done the best with a bad package. And the real shame again, we haven't talked about it much this year. But Marcus Reiterberger wasn't there this year, and I thought he's a great talent who has missed out. Um, on I think he've had a, some good chances to finish in the top six this year. And he's not had that. Not no, let's not forget that Torres as well had a, had part of the season this year where he was running in in second place. And yeah. Masano race two with four to go, and his bike just completely dies on him. Yeah, um, running a safe second as well. Yeah, he's. He, I think yeah. I, Torres from from memory. I'll pull the results up in a minute. To try, but pretty sure Torres has had about as high a DNF rate as anyone else on in on on the calendar. Um, he's had a lot of misfortune and a lot of crashes that have really um, cost him points. He finishes ninth in the championship, uh, 10 behind Camilla and another uh, 28 behind Xavi Forres. Um, but he's beaten the Aprilia's in the championship, beaten the Hondas and beaten all the satellite bikes, um, of which he is one, of course, that, that BMW, as Dre mentioned. is basically, um, yeah, here's your bike and um, yeah, do your best, guys, uh, at Altea. Um, and Torres has pretty much squeezed every last drop out of that BMW. Uh, over the last couple of years, and he's done a very, very good job with it. Of course, he is off to MB Augusta for next year. Um, Sylvain Gintoli made his return a couple of rounds ago, and he stayed with the Pichetti Kawasaki team for the final round at Qatar, scene of his finest hour in motorcycle racing uh, three years ago. Um, this one wasn't quite as memorable for Sylvain Gintoli, but a solid enough weekend for him. Uh, eighth in both races, which might not sound like a great result, but it's... Um, good results for the measure of that team. That's about as high as Kawasaki Pachetti have been all year. Take that Haslam wildcard appearance at Donington out, and uh, Gintoli's doing pretty much um, hitting the kind of heights that that team and that bike hasn't hit all year. Kawasaki are traitors. They have derailed the Gintas World Tour. He's, they've delayed the homecoming. Like, Pachetti, how dare you employ that very fast and talented-looking Turkish boy instead? Damn you! Yeah, well, um, I think he'll probably be his teammate next year. 
No, they're not because they, they said an MCN. They're dropping down to one bike. Right. Well, Ginters is knack then, isn't he? Yeah, Ginters is getting is out of a job basically. Like they were going to run two, but apparently they, they, they're, they're going to bring themselves down to one. Right. So Top Rack is going to be a flying solo for Pachetti next year, um, which kind of leaves Ginters in the lurch, unfortunately. When it's a shame because he's been consistent and solid with all four of his wildcard appearances. He's not finished outside of the top eight in any of the any of the four races he's taken part in, which is. Pretty darn solid, if you ask me. Again, given the quality of bikes and teams in front of him, you, you don't, like, if you're finishing in eighth, that means only the really big hitters are in front of you, um, and guys with much bigger budgets than what Pachetti's got, and a, and you know sometimes better machinery as well and resources available. So Ginters, I think, has done a very good job, unbiasedly, with the four races that he's done with Pachetti, and uh, well, who knows what's next for him because uh, he's now. The new rider for hire. We found the new gimmick, Sodomy. He's rider for hire now. Yeah. Cammy has got a victory seat. Ginters is now out of a job. Ginters is the new rider for hire. Yeah, the, this, is, this is a thing. He's the, <laughs> he's the champ for hire um, for next season. Silva Gintola. Yeah, pretty good rider to have on the uh, on the availability like, list, isn't he? If you have a problem with your team, some, I think there'll be a few teams who'll be sort of rereading their contracts because he's yeah, he is now available. Um, he's, he's, done, he's done MotoGP, BSB, and Worlds all in the same season. How is he anything but rider for hire now? Like yeah. he's, he's earned it. He has earned it. Yeah, <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if he suddenly becomes a, a Suzuki tester somewhere because he's uh, apparently on still very very good terms with Suzuki in that uh, MotoGP, and uh, I think Suzuki is still very keen to for someone in the World Superbike Panic to pick up their new superbike for next year, and uh, so far there haven't really been any takers. Um, so uh, we'll see if that happens and uh, maybe Sylvan will still appear on one of those next year he certainly deserves to be on the world grid next year we'll see if that happens um, here's how the final round played out then race 1 went to Ray from Davies and Melandry with Laverty 4th earning him race 2 pole Savadori 5th and Tom Sykes 6th Torres 7th Gintoli 8th Leon Camier 9th and Roman Ramos 10th um, race 2 went to Johnny Ray once again earning him the points record ahead of Davies and Lowe's who ended the year with another podium Chavi Forres in 5th Melandry, 6th. Um, missed out Van der Mark there. He was ahead of them in 4th. Um, Eugene Laverty, 7th from the pole. Ginter's 8th. Camilla in his last ride for MV before moving to Honda, ninth, And Ramos, once again, was 10th. And completing the points in that second race, incidentally, Rafa de Rosa. Jake Gagne, who had a very good weekend, almost completely unseen by the cameras. Um, he was 12th in both races on that Honda. Um, that god-awful Honda. Uh, Andrea Andriozzi, 13th. Andre Jezek, 14th. And shout-out to the Leicester City of Motorcycle Racing, Robbie Rolfo, who um, hey. made a one-off appearance for Grillini and scored points in both races. So well done to him. Final round then, final championship standings. Johnny Ray, the champion, um, with an all-time record of 556 points. He wins the championship, as I mentioned, by um, the small man of 153 um, from Chaz Davies in second. Tom Sykes, third, um, another 30 points back. Marco Melandri, fourth. Lowe's fifth. That's a career high for him in the World Superbike Championship. Michael Vandermark, sixth. Forrest, seventh. Camille, eighth. Jordi Torres, ninth. And then Eugene Laverty rounds out the top ten ahead of Lorenzo Salvadori, Roman Ramos, Leandro Mercado, Stefan Bridal, Rafa de Rosa. And then you get down to the semi replacements and uh, riders who didn't complete the season, which unfortunately in 17th place includes the late Nicky Hayden.
Right then, let's do the news. And in this particular edition of Bike Live, there is a hell of a lot of it. And a lot of it, actually, um, is with an eye towards next year and 2018. Because a lot of riders are confirming uh, who they're going to be riding for next year. And uh, we're also getting calendars confirmed for next season. Um, so we're going to start with BSB. Um, because two teams have confirmed their lineups for next season. And with uh, Monocycle Live coming up in the next couple of weeks, you expect plenty more to do the same. Smith's Racing have confirmed their rider lineup. Um, Sylvain Barrier is one of their two riders. He's the sort of left field selection, the former national, uh, former World Superstock Thousand champion, a title that has been won in the past by guys like Danilo Petrucci. So it's not exactly um, a championship that's uh, easy to win. Um, Barrier is a former champion in there. It's his first ever appearance, though, in British Superbikes. And he'll be teammate to Peter Hickman, who, um, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, Dre, Smith Racing have decided they wanted to retain. No way! I would never have guessed off their first ever showdown appearance. Um, yeah, absolutely. Hickman, again, was superb all season long. I think he finished fourth in the championship overall by the time it was all said and done. I mean, that's that's a that's a phenomenal job from Peter Hickman. Consistent all year long, great results, had race wins, elevated that team, you know, better than I think just about anybody else in the paddock could, given the circumstances. Can't argue with that at all. Tie him down. Give him all the years on the contract he wants. Do what he got to do to retain a guy like that. Because riders like him don't come around very often in terms of consistency and, and you know solid results. So yeah, absolutely. Keep him on keep him on board. Brilliant job. Well done, Peter Hickman. And he, he ticks every necessary box really for that Smith team. Because not only is he a great British Super rider, of course he's he's earned them many a success on the roads this year. Um, he's he's won a lot of races on on the roads of this of the United Kingdom. So. Yeah, he ticks both boxes, not just on the uh, short circuits, but also on the road. So, uh, yeah, Pete Aikman and Smith Racing appear to be a very, very good fit um, for next season. Uh, Honda have confirmed their rider lineup for 2018, and it's unchanged once again for, why make this the fourth year in a row that O'Halloran and Limfoot have been their riders because they had Jenny Timoth as a teammate uh, a couple of years back. But this is the uh, third or fourth year in a row that O'Halloran and Limfoot have stayed together out of the Honda racing team. Um, and again, this is a move that suits both parties. O'Halloran, who's been a showdown rider for each of the last couple of years um, and has been leading the way, really, for this new Honda Fireblade, which has improved as the year's gone on. Um, and for Dan Limput, Dre, who was kind of under pressure to keep his spot around mid-season, but his second half of the season has definitely justified his retention at, at Honda. And, uh, you know, it's funny what a couple of wins do for you. Um, yeah, the, the first of his, of his BSB career. Yeah, Linford absolutely came up came up to play in the second half of the season and, you know, was very supportive um, for the Honda cause on that one. Shane Linford didn't make the showdown this year, unlike last year. But O'Halloran, again, another really consistent name that often pushed that, that Honda to the point where he could challenge for wins. Only for Linford to steal too off him. <laughs> Funny how that works out in the end. But um, yeah, like the, like I have to say, with 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 Honda's World Superbikes program struggling, how good a job has has the team done with Linford and Haller in this year? An outstanding job turning a brand new Fireblade into a multiple race winning bike in less than a calendar year. They, they've done a superb job. Absolutely tie those two down for another year. I mean, the way they're going right now, they should be aiming to get both guys in the showdown next year and mm, maybe, thinking about, like, maybe thinking about title aspirations because Linford and Hannah are, are outstanding this season. Did a, did a very, very good job in, in difficult circumstances given, given it was a brand new bike. Mm, yeah, Jason O'Halloran in MCN this week says this bike can totally win the championship. Uh, I didn't run away since 2017 and didn't really fight for the title even though I made the showdown. 
but with some proper testing this winter, which they didn't really get last year because they got that bike very, very late. Last the minute, start yeah. of the season. Um, I think we are in a strong position to fight for it next year. And Dan Limpo equally says the level of the bike is improving constantly. So, yes, it could win the title. I feel that with where we are with the bike now, at our worst, we are in the showdown. So if everything can go well and we can find some consistency, there's no reason we, are can, we can't target the top three. And so fighting talk from the Honda riders. And uh, yeah, given the way their season has improved and the curve and the way it's been going, can't really blame them um, for next season. So it'll be interesting to watch how they get on next year. Um, British Talent Cup news um, for 2018. Because that is a new class that's uh, debuting next year. We'll be telling you all about that next year um, here on Bike Live because they will be supporting a lot of the British-supported rounds, um, both in BSB and World Superbikes and the British Grand Prix, of course. Uh, here's how their calendar shakes up um, for next year, the inaugural British Talent Cup. It starts with a pre-season test in March, which will be taking place at Valencia, uh, before the opening round of the season, which supports the Easter weekend BSB round at Donington Park um, across the 31st of March, 1st and 2nd of April. Two races on each weekend, by the way, which makes up a 12-race season. Um, races 3 and 4 are at the Donington Park World Superbike round. Uh, races 5 and 6 are at the BSB Snetterton round, which is in the middle of June. Races 7 and 8 are at the British Grand Prix, which we don't know yet which circuit that will be. So it will be either the third Donington round or the first Silverstone round. We'll wait and see uh, when that's confirmed. That is on the 24th, 25th, 26th of August. Um, the penultimate round of the season, races 9 and 10, are at the BSB Assam round. Um, so we'll get to see the British Talent Cup at Assam. And then the season finale is supporting the MotoGP season finale at Valencia in mid-November next season. A 12-round championship these dates are subject to change, but those at the moment are the, well, four circuits confirmed for the British Talent Cup uh, inaugural season and potentially a fifth, depending on where the British Grand Prix is next year. Uh, now into the World Superbike paddock and World Supersport 300 news. Uh, Kawasaki, who missed out on the championship this season, um, one of the few things they didn't win um, in 2017, well, they're upping their game a little bit for the World Supersport 300 championship in 2018. They're going from the Ninja 300 to the Ninja 400. Um, as Kawasaki, who um, basically, certainly, if you ever fall or go around their stands at Motorcycle Live, they don't really make a bad bike, do they, um, in the, across um, their range. Um, it's the Ninja 400, which is being uh, thrust into competition in World Supersport 300 next season as that class heads into its second season. And it's sure to be a fantastic second season with, of course, the Yamaha that's won the title, uh, the Honda 500, which Mika Perez has won races on this year, and KTM joining the Ferrari next year as well in Supersport 300, alongside Kawasaki and their Ninja 400 in 2018. Uh, World Supersport 600 news, and uh, the news that the Nerds racing team that we told you about earlier on, um, who'd signed Jules Glazelle, have signed his teammate um, for next year. And it is the young 18-year-old Thomas Gradinger, um, who is a young Dane who made his debut earlier this season at the Lausitz Ring as a wildcard and finished in the top 10, um, which for a debut rider in the World Supersport Championship is no bad going at all. Uh, he will be Jules Clouzel's teammate next year, riding on a Yamaha R6. Um, World Supersport news surrounding one of the other Yamaha teams, and that's Calio Racing, who this year have ran Sheridan Marias and um, Nicky Tooley. One of those two riders, though, will be out of the team for next year because they have signed the Belgian Loris Cresson, um, a young teenage rider again, as um, Calio Racing team targets youth. Um, we don't quite know yet which of the two existing riders will be out of the team, but we do know that Loris Cresson is in. Um, World Superbike news, and this news we've already can, we've already brought you earlier on in the show, but uh, Toprak Razgatioglu is confirmed at Kawasaki Pichetti team for 2018. This has been news that we've pretty much known for a while, but it is now official 
not only the fact that he's in the team, but the fact that he's the only rider within that team. Um, so he's going to be a rookie to keep a very close eye on next season. Um, more World Superbike news surrounding the Argentine, Leandro Mercado, who um, is riding for the new Oralac racing team next year. A team that has been a regular team on the World Super Sport uh, bill this year. They're moving up to World Superbikes, and they've given Leandro Mercado a Kawasaki ZX-10R, um, which means that the Argentine round of the season will have a home rider on a Kawasaki next year. And we kind of hope, really, Dre, for Leandro Mercado's sake, that this team works. I mean, I kind of worry for Mercado joining a new team out of World Super Sport because, uh, let's say, his uh, his last foray into World Superbikes with the IOTA team didn't necessarily pan out too well. The team were too skint to even go to Qatar last weekend. Ugh, Mercado deserves better. He's a great talent and a great rider who's just been... Yeah, he, he he did an awful lot with a very, very bad name in racing in Iota that's done nothing but, like, basically curtail people's careers. Luckily, Danilo Petrucci was able to escape when they're in MotoGP, and he's now one of the most highly touted guys in the series. Um, Makada, I think, is similar. Makada, I think, is an excellent rider, capable of top six finishes, um, definitely, but just needs the right opportunity, and hopefully... He'll get this one, but it's a brand new team coming out of Supersport. There's going to be some teething problems, I reckon. So hopefully they've, they've, they've got the financial backing to make this work. Otherwise, it, it could get ugly. Yeah, quite a bit of backing for this team from Kawasaki Argentina, uh, which has helped them. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, best of luck to uh, Leandro Ricardo next season. Um, I think if you're going to run a new team in World Superbikes, um, the Kawasaki is probably the best bike to pick up, isn't it? Um, so we can't really blame Oralak for going that route. Um, so the best of luck to Mikado next year in World Superbikes. Um, let's hope that he's with a team that will actually have the funds to see the season out uh, in 2018. Um, one other spot that's been confirmed for next year's World Superbike grid is at the Barney team. They have retained Chabby Forrest, which is uh, an even less surprising piece of news than the news... Um, that we brought you earlier on, saying Peter Hickman being retained at the Smiths team. Um, Forres, who um, secured his best ever championship finish this year when he finished 7th in the championship. Ten times he finished in the top six uh, in 2017. Um, We don't quite know yet whether he's going to be the sole rider or one of two riders. Um, But again, Dre, Forres has done more than enough this season to justify his uh, inclusion at that Barney team for next year. And... uh, yeah, we just hope his 2018 season has a bit more luck behind it. Yeah, I mean, by any measure, like, who could you get who'd be better? I mean, Forrest is a perennial top five level runner, and he's arguably the best in the rest that's not with a factory team right now. So, absolutely, again, time down for another year. Completely no-brainer, if you ask me. So, Javi Forrest retained by Barney next season. Well, let's now talk MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3, because their entry lists have been confirmed for 2018. Um, so let's run you through these. Um, these include some uh, interesting pieces of news that we've kind of been waiting on for the last few rounds in terms of which riders have been confirmed, particularly in Moto2 and Moto3 um, for next season. So there are some interesting stories through this. Um, and we'll start with Moto3. We'll go in number order. Uh, that's the easiest way of doing it. Jean Messia, who burst into the scene most notably in Austria this year, where he broke the right record and ran his highest second at one point. He'll be riding for a team known as Besta Capital Dubai. Um, and if you haven't heard of that team before, don't worry, neither have we. Um, but it's essentially the new name for the Platinum Bay real estate team um, for next season um, that Masia will be racing for. He'll be on a KTM. Reminder, no Mahindra next year, so all of these teams will be running either KTM or Honda in 2018. Uh, Masia will be on number five. Adam Norodin is retained um, by the uh, Malaysia-backed uh, team on number seven for a Honda 
That team has been renamed Petronas Sprinter Racing, um, which essentially is basically the team that ran Siren in Moto2 and the team that ran Norodin and um, uh, his teammate this season in uh, the in Sasaki in the Moto3 class. Basically, they've joined forces to run one team. Um, so Norodin on number seven. Nicolo Bulliger, who uh, we wish the very best because he had a horrible crash in practice today, which broke his ankle. Um, which means he'll miss this yeah. weekend. We wish him all the very best. He's retained at Sky VR46 on number eight. His teammate is the reigning junior world champion, Dennis Foggia, on number 10, both on KTMs. Uh, Livio Loy has found a new home at the Real Styler Bike team. Again, haven't heard of them either. Um, but he'll be on number 11, as always, on the KTM. So he has found a new ride for next year. Congratulations to him. Marco Bezecchi will run number 12. He's joining Saxoprint um, for next season. Um, they'll be running KTMs. They've got rid of the Peugeots. Tony Arbolino will be taking uh, Romano Fonati's spot at the Marinelli River Cold Snipers team on number 14. Number 15 is a new name, Alonso Lopez, about as Spanish a name as you can possibly get. Um, he is riding for Estrella Galicia. He will be the teammate to Aaron Canet next year. Uh, Alonso Lopez, who rides for them in the Junior World Championship. He still has a mathematical chance of finishing as a championship runner-up to Foggia um, in the Junior World Championship. He moves up next year to the Grand Prix class with Estrella Galicia on number 15. Andrea Mignon, number 16, he's moving to Aspar on a KTM. John McPhee on number 17, he's moving to CIP. Um, although he will retain the backing of the British Talent Team for the British Talent Cup program. He just won't be riding for their team anymore because they don't see the point in him. Um, they're moving that team to the Junior World Championship, and McPhee, with their backing, goes to CIP. Uh, Gabby Rodrigo, on number 19, forms the unchanged RBA squad. Um, he's on number 19. Fabio Di Gianantonio forms part of the unchanged Cassini squad on number 21. Nicolo Antonelli moves to the 658 team on number 23, alongside Tatsuki Suzuki on 24. Kato Toba for Team Asia on 27. Anea Bastianini, who moves to Leopard on 33. Darren Binder, who will be the sole Red Bull KTM IO rider on 40. Nakarin Adirat Fubapat is retained at Honda Team Major on 41. Marcos Ramirez is confirmed as staying at what is currently the Platinum Bay Real Estate team on 42, now known as Best of Capital Dubai. Aaron Cannett on 44, Australia Galicia. Lorenzo Della Porta, who's the teammate to Bastini at Leopard on 48. Guevara at the RBA team on 58. Philip Ertl at the Sudmetal Shuttle team, which ran him in the last few years on 65. Ayumu Sasaki, who rides for the Petrona Sprinter team on 71. Albert Arenas stays at Aspar, who will now have a KTM next year on 75. Makar Yuchenko, the first ever Kazakhstani rider in the MotoGP paddock. He's on 76 at CIP. Jakob Kornfile stays at Saxoprint, but he has a KTM next year on 84. And Jorge Martin on 88 um, for the Grassini team at Honda. Um, Dre, we now know the full Moto3 entry list. Now, one or two names, of course, may change as uh, funding runs out in various cases. That always has to happen in the run-up to a season. Uh, but now we know the full list of riders. Um, <laughs> any advances on Aaron Canet for next year? Um, uh, mm, <laughs> nope. Um, nope. Um, I'm all in on Aaron Canet for next year. Please and thank you. He's probably going to win half a dozen races and, and win it fairly comfortably. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I don't see anyone other than uh, than than Canet on this one. I, I, again, like Fanati being a big threat, being out of the class. I'm not convinced by Budiger in year two. I think he's actually taken a step back this year compared to his rookie season. I I, I can't see anyone challenging Canet. I think I, I think this is actually a bit of a down year for Moto Three in terms of rider quality. Um, but that needs to happen sometimes. I mean, it's, it's inevitable. You're not going to have you know 
absolute alien ridiculous talent come through every single year we're not that spoiled um and joanne mir is completely cursed on to people um so yeah like the way it's going right now i think that uh yeah i think it i think it's aaron canitz to lose mm, yeah i mean if there's anyone who perhaps will lead the uh the chase of canit perhaps the grassini team is the best place to look with jorge martin who might be an, e- an interesting each way bet given that the perhaps the main reason that he's missed out on so many wins this season is moving up out of the class in Joan Mir. Um, so perhaps with him out of the way, Martin might pick up, might convert a few of those seconds and thirds into first and seconds next year. Um, we can but hope that guy deserves a win. Um, and his teammate, and his teammate, Dijan Antonio. Um, but yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, yeah, we, and we kind of thought like this year in Moto 3 whether we had any high class rookies moving up, and then along came Marcos Ramirez. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. The rookies. For next year, there are a few of them. Um, Messiah, of course, who we've seen already, who we know is quick. Um, Foggia, who's the junior world champion. Lopez, who's one of the nearest challenges to him in that class um, as a rookie. Um, and along with that, we have the Kazakhstani rider Yurchenko moving up. So, yeah, on paper, not as high a class of rookie. But, yeah, Foggia and Messiah have already shown in one-off appearances this season that they can mix it. I mean, Foggia gave Joan Mir a bloody nose at Aragon, didn't he? So... Um, yeah, we'll wait and see on those. They they may well move straight into the class and be quick. Exactly kind of what the Junior World Championship has allowed these kids to do. Um, just uh-huh. uh, just arrive in this class and be straight on the level of these top guys. So we'll wait and see on that. But yeah, that is your lineup for Moto3. Here's your lineup for Moto2. Uh, headed by number four, Stephen Odendahl um, for the RW Racing Team and a brand new constructor to Moto2, NTS, who uh, Odendahl... Um, wild carded with back at Aragon this season. They're doing the full season next year um, with Odin Dahl as one of their two riders. We'll tell you the second one in a moment. Andrea Locatelli on number five stays at Etal Trans. Lorenzo Baldassari on number seven moves to the Pons team. Jorge Navarro on number nine stays at the Grassini team. Luca Marini on ten moves to his brother, half-brother's team, Sky VR46 on a Calex. Sandro Cortesi on number 11 moves across to the Kiefer team, um, which... I'm delighted to see their name on the entry list, given, of course, that their their team owner sadly passed away um, a couple of weeks ago. So the team will Indeed. live on, which is which is nice to see. Cortese will be running for them, and they are running KTMs for next season, which is looking a better decision by the week. Um, Cortese on number 11. Um, Romano Fanati, um, he'll be running number 13 next year in Moto2. Because um, number five, he's yeah, he's asking for it, isn't he? Without him, isn't yeah, it? That, that's such a Fanati move, isn't it? To run third <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, five's already taken by Andrea Locatelli, so he had to go so elsewhere. So he's he's got for thirteen, as you do. Um, Fanati staying with the Rivanelli Cypress team, which of course has moved up with him with a Calex to Moto Two. Uh, number sixteen is Joe Roberts. He is the second NTS rider for RW. Fabio Quattararo on number twenty moves to speed up. Federico Fellini is going to be a full-time rider for the Tasca team on a Calex. Um, Sam Lowe's on number 22 moves back into Moto2. Uh, he's with the Entevetten team, which has been renamed as the CGBM Evolution team. Um, so presumably that's a new sponsor that they've picked up for next season uh, for Sam Lowe's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, given that the Entevetten sponsorship has probably followed Thomas Luti into MotoGP. Um, so Sam Lowe's on 22. They are also running KTMs. Uh, Marcel Schrotter on 23. Um, he's staying at Dynavolt on a suitor. Simone Corsi also moves to the Tasca team, so he'll be teammates to Fellini on a Calex. Ika Laquona will be teammates to Sam Lowe's at the CGBM Evolution squad. Isaac Vinales on 32 at Stop and Go. Joan Mir, the reigning Moto3 champion, moves up to Moto2. He's on 36 with the Australian Glacier Mark BDS team. 
Hector Barbara drops down to the uh, Pons team in Moto2 on number 40. Brad Binder for Red Bull KTM IO on 41. Uh, Francesco Bagnaia on 42 with SkyVR 46. Miguel Oliveira, we'll come back to him in a moment, on 44 on the Red Bull KTM IO bike. Tatsuka Nagashima, who replaces his countryman Nakagami at Team Asia on 45. Eric Granado, the Brazilian, uh, he rejoins the Moto2 class. Um, he's racing for the forward team. He's the second rider for them on a Kellex. Danny Kent back in the championship full-time on a speed-up on number 52. Matai Pacini stays at the Trans on 54. Hafiz Sayarin is the sole rider for that new Patrona Sprinter team on 55. Stefano Manzi is the other forward rider on 62. Bo Benchneider moves up to Tech 3 in Moto2 on 64. Alex Marquez is the second Australia Galicia rider on 73. Dominic Egeter stays at Kiefer, but as I mentioned, they switch to KTM. He's on 77. Remy Gardner stays at Tech 3 on 87. Kyrill Idampawi stays at Team Asia on 89. Jules Danilo, much like his current teammate Moto3 Fanati, moves up to Moto2. He's with Stop and Go and completing the Moto2 lineup on 97. Xavi Vieque on a suitor for the intact Dynavolt team. Um, and while it looks like a down year for Moto3, Dre, based on that entry list, I'm not so sure it's going to be a down year for Moto2. Um, no, I think it's actually pretty loaded. Wide open. Um, <laughs> Uh, wide open and a bunch more KTMs in the field as well. Like, uh, like, like they've clearly Good seen Miguel Oliveira. They've, they've seen Oliveira and Binder, and it's like, hang on, I want a piece of this, um, basically. So, yeah, like it's not going to be completely Calix dominated in the field this year. So that's alone is going to make this very interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm actually looking forward to this a lot, a lot. I mean, we're going to see a legitimate manufacturer chassis battle and a crap ton of good talent spread out across the field. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Cause you've got, um, a, a brilliant crop of rookies moving up in, well, headlined by Mir and Fanati, the two dominant riders from Moto3 this year, um, moving up into the class. And I've already looked through that interest as I was reading out and I can make a, you can make a legitimate case for at least four riders um, Oliveira, Binder, Lowe's, um, Alex Marquez. You can make a legitimate case for any one of those four as championship contenders next year, and they're probably not the only four. Absolutely, there's there's bound to be a couple of guys that will sneak up in there and and and, and get in there. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's bound to be a couple of surprises in there. But yeah, any of those four are absolutely worthy title contenders by name value alone, and how the field is shaken up. So yeah, I'm here for all of it. Mm, absolutely. MotoGP entry list there. Now this will be of no surprise to any of you because you already know every rider confirmed on the grid. Um, but I'll give you the full entry list. Uh, it's headlined by Andrea Vizioso on number four. Um, and as we still know, that might not necessarily be his number next year. He might run number one. Who knows? Um, Joan Zarco on number five for Tech 3. Daniel Petrucci on number nine for Pramac. Xavier Simeon, um, who crashed twice today, incidentally, in Moto2 practice. Um, he's on number 10 for Avintia. Um, Tom Lutie runs number 12 at Australia Glissier Mark BDS. Carol Abraham on 17 at Aspar. Teammates to Bautista on 19. Franco Morbidelli runs to 21 at the Stroke Lissi Mark BDS, the reigning Moto2 champion. Merrick Vinales on 25 at Movistar Yamaha. Pedroza on 26 at Repsol Honda. Yenone on 29 at Suzuki. Takaki Nakagami will run his number 30, the new Animoto 2 for LCR Honda in Demitsu. That's the team name that's been given. And Cal Crutchlow's team name for LCR is given as LCR Honda Castrol. Which I like the sound of, Dre, if we, mean we get that livery for 18 rounds a season next year. Yes! 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 All we need now is Toyota Super and Gran Turismo 3. Sign me the hell up! <laughs> yeah, we're here for all of that. 
Uh, Bradley Smith on 38 at Red Bull KTM. Alicia Spargo on 41 at Aprilia. Alex Rins on 42 at Suzuki. Jack Miller takes the 43 with him to Pramac. Paula Spargo on the 44, second of the KTMs. Scott Redding takes his 45 to Aprilia Grassini. Valentino Rossi on 46 at Yamaha, of course. Tito Rabat on 53, that moves to Avintia. Mark Marquez on 93 at Repsol Honda. Jonas Folger, who we wish all the best, on 94 at Monster Yamaha Tech 3. And Jorge Lorenzo on 99 at Ducati. Uh, and it's worth actually mentioning um, Jonas Folger because um, the Tech 3 team this week issued an update on, on Jonas Folger's condition. Um, yeah. which sounds positively grim, uh, I've got to say, given um, his uh, current state of uh, of health, um, which, of course, has ruled him out of recent rounds, and we won't see him again um, for the rest of this season. Um, I'll read you the, t- the press release, and um, it, it kind of illustrates the kind of state he's in and why we haven't seen him lately. Um, he's been visiting specialists in Munich lately to diagnose the illness that sidelined him from the Japanese GPs and every race since. On his return from Japan, Jonas went in for tests, uh, and in addition, had further examinations. A strain of Gilbert syndrome was discovered, a common genetic disorder affecting 2 to 5% of the population, uh, where the liver is unable to process toxins effectively. This has been an underlying condition that has plagued Jonas for several years, but had never been diagnosed properly. Prior to the Japanese GP, it escalated to a point where his entire body shut down, rendering him bedridden. Jonas is currently going through a complete detoxification and de- and cleansing of the body to help flush his liver and disperse all toxins, and moving forward, he will need to adapt to a special diet. In addition, since his crash in Aragon, Jonas's throat was damaged, which affected his voice badly, and he visited a specialist, and they found a damaged nerve in his right vocal cords, but recovery can take one to two years to return to normal. I mean, this guy, it, it kind of makes sense now, Dre. We haven't seen him since the, uh, since the end of the summer. This guy's been in an awful state. He, basically, he's been severely ill. Mm. Like that is like that's borderline life threatening. If your entire body is shutting down on you, holy shit! I did not hear this update. So this, the, 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 what you're hearing now is my live reaction to hearing this news. Um, that's shocking. Um, that's dreadful. That sounds awful on every conceivable level. For the love of God, stuff about getting him back on the bike. Talk about the man's quality of life. I mean, holy shit. Um, that's that's dreadful. And I can only wish Jonas the best in his recovery because uh, it's 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 awful when you get these rare diseases that are, you know often misdiagnosed. And oh, good good lord, that's that sounds awful. I hope he's I hope he's able just to get back to something near full full health and full fitness um because that was that is awful mm, yeah uh, as i say a common genetic disorder that affects two to five percent of the population and yeah unfortunately he's fallen within that five percent um and yeah the fact that his his vocal cords that could take a year or two to recover it's back to normal um this guy has had a horrible six weeks and uh, as he says himself the past six weeks have been very difficult for me not knowing what's happening or why my body shut down completely i've been living with this elements of this since 2011 um, but i've always been able to overcome it and we never really knew what it was it's unfortunate that it took such a serious episode to fully diagnose the situation but i'm just thankful we now have some answers um so yeah we, we wish him all the best and we hope to see him back again we're sure we'll see him back again at the start of next year um Jonas folger who's had a pretty rough month or so um, Jesus. More news then, um, and this kind of brings us on to this weekend in Valencia, and we'll talk all about the title decider in a moment. Um, but one title's already been decided today: the first ever MotoGP eSport Championship um, in Valencia, won by an Italian 18-year-old teenager who um, 
I don't have his actual name because he didn't race under it. He raced under his username, Tratstaver73. Congratulations to you uh, for winning the Moto MotoGP eSport Championships. Um, not only has he won the championship, but he's won a brand new BMW M240i. Um, new car. Peak yeah. Peak order. Giving a BMW as a prize car for God's sake, you lazy. How many BMWs does Mark Marquez have in his garage for pole trophies? By uh, the way, well, I don't know. Whatever it is, add one of them tomorrow. Um, yeah, so uh, or today, as you listen to this. Um, so uh, yeah, congratulations to him. And on a serious point, though, Dre, um, I know you watched the Formula One equivalent of this, the semi-finals that took place uh, around a month ago. The final of which is um, in two weeks' time in Abu Dhabi. Um, alongside yes. the final round of the Formula 1 season. Um, this is a a medium, if you like, that I think has got a lot of mileage in it. Esports is something that I think motorsport championships are now becoming very, very keen. They're catching on to it, and they really want to tap into this because there's some mileage in this and some money in it. Absolutely. I mean, to give you a couple of examples, I mean, yeah, I did, I did watch the Formula 1 esports semifinals, and I thought it was a great production for, for an esports format. I mean, I've always been an esports guy. I mean, I remember watching Sky One at the Championship Gaming Series. That was years ago. When back when back when FIFA 06 was a competitive esport. Um, less said about that, the better. <laughs> but uh, but um, those are the days. But like, I've been watching esports for a long time, and like I think it's now. I think back then it was just a little bit too far ahead of its time, and I think TV networks and other broadcasters are starting to get behind it again and um the formula one one for what it's worth was fantastic i mean they got good names down there jack nichols and, and david valsecki karun chanok all in the commentary booth all part of the production and you know i've got a good couple of mates of mine work on that production as, as well behind the scenes doing the camera work so um like a very very community driven sort of experience i mean we had tom brooks on commentary good friend of the show um over there for today for the esports contest you know the guy does friggin' everything these days. He's a, he's a machine. Steve Day, uh, too, who um, is a wealthy commentator for Moto2 and Moto3 now. Indeed, yeah. Congratulations to him. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Like, like the production quality was good. Um, it, it looked good on TV. The commentary was great. I, I thought it was definitely a good thing. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's de there's definitely potential on the table here for more. I think I think Formula One has embraced this and has done a very good job. I mean, I've talked about it on Motorsport 101 before that I've always felt like Formula One make a great esport and it is a, a good, captivating product. We saw it in Formula E, didn't go quite to plan production-wise earlier this year in Vegas, to say the least. But hey, a $200,000 top prize, that's nothing to scoff at right there. That's that's a fantastic prize pool so people are willing to invest in this and that's and that's great um so yeah um absolutely um i think the potential is definitely there i mean the only issue i have with Moto gp is that it's not the most popular game series in the world so the the competitive pool might be a little bit on the thin side here mm. but no matter which way you slice it i think there's definitely a lot of potential there Mm, yeah, and when people realise they could potentially win themselves a BMW next year, if you want people to buy next year's game, uh, who will, we shall see. Um, it's not the uh, obvious route to earn yourself a brand new car, but congratulations to Trezstavia73, who uh, won himself a brand new BMW earlier today. Um, given that he's an Italian, um, unsurprisingly, you'll uh, not be at all surprised to hear if you didn't watch it, that he was running a movie star Yamaha with bright yellow boots on his rider. Um, so have a, guess, have a guess who he supports. Um, but he also ran the number 58. Um, so uh, so he earns our seal of approval for running that number. Good man. Tribute to Marco <laughs> Simoncelli. Uh, so congratulations to him. 
Um, now, slightly more sadder news this weekend. It's going to be a weekend of goodbyes this weekend in MotoGP. As far as the commentators are concerned, the voice of MotoGP on the world feed um, in basically every other country bar this one, uh, Nick Harris bows out uh, at the end of this year. And uh, uh, it, often the word legend is overused, but I don't think it necessarily is... Uh, um, it's wrong to use it here. Nick Harris is a legend of MotoGP. He's pretty much dedicated his life to MotoGP and this this sport, um, and he has been the voice of it. And um, a lovely touch in the pre-race press conference on Thursday when uh, Valentino Rossi took the microphone and they uh, introduced a uh, five-minute uh, video montage dedicated to Nick Harris, where all, pretty much all the riders in the MotoGP class um, read out one of Nick Harris's famous commentary lines, uh, which was which was brilliant. <laughs> Uh, it was a great video, a great touch, a very emotional uh, occasion. Um, uh, I know Greg Haynes, who was in that room in that press conference, was uh, emotional and tearing up when they played it because he uh, he worked with Nick Harris uh, as part of the MotoGP World Feed commentary um, a few years ago. Um, so um, you know he's been a mentor to him. He's been one of the gold standards of commentary in motorsport. You know he's been a brilliant, brilliant voice of MotoGP. Just a guy who lives the sport and um, deserves his retirement. So we wish him all the very best. Uh, in that in the future yeah, Nick yeah. Harris who hangs up his microphone this weekend and he's not the only one Drake because it was announced in the week up building up to this weekend's Grand Prix that Julian Ryder um, voice of BT Sport and previously Eurosport is also retiring now this news as I say we haven't uh, we knew the news about Nick Harris for a while we only found out the news about Julian Ryder in really the last 24-48 hours and uh, it's a sad moment isn't it um, from well, from the previous sort of 10, 15 years, he was part of the favoured commentary pairing in MotoGP and arguably the best commentary pairing in all of motorsport for 15 years with Toby Mooney. Yeah, like me and Lewis, uh, for what it's worth, listeners are very much in the same boat. We watched on British Eurosport for years and those two were magnificent together. Moody and and Ryder and, you know, Randy Mamola and Neil Spalders were fantastic. A fantastic crew um, that enhanced the sport for, for, with their presence. And that, I think that is, that is the greatest compliment I think you can pay to a commentator is if that they are, if they enhance the quality of the sport you watch, then they're doing a very good job. And Julian Ryder is, is, a, is, a, is another legendary commentator for me. He's done tremendous work. He's been my personal voice for MotoGP um, since I started watching in the early 2000s. And um, again, in one half of I think my favourite all-time pairing in motorsport commentary, him and Toby Moody. Um, he's done great work for them. He's done great work for BT Sport. He's been a journalist in the space for 30 years. Um, he said himself that you know, he's not retiring. <laughs> he said yeah. he's, he's, he's just sick of the travel. Which, yeah, fair which play to him for that as well. Which after 30-odd years, I can't say I blame him in the slightest. Um, and he's he's been a fantastic asset to MotoGP, to 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 British era sport, to BT sport. He's done a tremendous job. And again, I wish him all the very best in whatever he decides to do afterwards. I'm sure he'll still be around the paddock and he'll still go from place to place and see the odd race. I don't think this will be the end of him on BT sport. I think we'll still see him on occasion. Um, I just I don't think we'll see him as a full-timer. But in any case, a wonderful, wonderful commentator and one of the very finest I've seen in all my years of watching motorsport. And um, we're, very, we're very lucky to have have him and Moody together at the same time and um, no disrespect to anybody else but I think MotoGP will be a little bit 
um, I don't think it'll be quite on the same level in terms of commentary without Harris and Ryder there anymore. It, it feels like the changing of the guard, so to speak, and um, they, these are going to leave some very big boots to fill because they've, they've both been tremendous. Yeah, two giants of MotoGP commentary um, over the last well, several decades, really, in this sport. They, they've been brilliant, and yeah, he, he spoke with such... Uh, every time he commentated on a race, he spoke with great authority, with great knowledge, um, Julian Ryder, because he's the uh, author of the uh, annual MotoGP season review books that are, re- that are released post-season. Um, and what a brilliant job he does on them as well, um, does does Jules. And from from my time of watching Eurosport, um, and what I really loved about his and Toby Moody's commentary, amongst many, many other things, Dre, was... Obviously, people who were watching MotoGP on Eurosport and chose to watch on Eurosport as opposed to on BBC, which obviously carried the coverage as well at the time, you knew they were the hardcore, dedicated fans um, that would not yes. only watch MotoGP on Eurosport, but also watch free practice on Eurosport um, with Toby Moody and Julian Ryder. And what I really loved about Julian Ryder and Toby Moody is that they would never attempt to insult the viewer's intelligence um, in what they're watching. Um, they would almost... I mean, I famously remember them when they would often invite Twitter questions on a free practice. They would often say, if this is a question that you can just Google, don't ask us. Um, just don't bother asking us it, um, which I thought was a really nice touch. And, you know, they, they spoke with such authority and such knowledge that they almost treated the viewers as if they were they were experts of the sport. And they allowed the viewer to almost engross themselves into the sport, into the, the sort of the finer parts of the sport that you sort of casual fan wouldn't necessarily know about. Absolutely. Um, they did. They, they respected our intelligence. Um, they spoke to us rather than at us, and I think that's that's an important factor that I think many commentators miss. Is that hey, if you're watching with us, then hey, we know our audience, and we're we're not going to try and dumb this down for you. We, if you're watching this, we assume that you know what you know what you're doing. You don't need to be told this again. Um, so yeah, again, like I said, they are they are true professionals to the end, and again, they spoke to us. They spoke with with, with intelligence, with grace, with enthusiasm, and ultimately with passion and i think that's what stands out i think more than anything else and um yeah i'm I'm gonna miss him i'm gonna miss him a ton yeah that was the word i was about to use enthusiasm um because uh yeah dre after this recording is gonna make a beeline to watch moto 2 free practice 2 familiar today um yes which um which (laughs) which very few people would ever do but there's a very good reason because uh bt sport in a lovely touch um, surprised Julian Ryder on his final weekend by introducing his old commentary partner Toby Moody to the box um, on Friday afternoon during Moto2 pre-practice 2 um, a surprise that, that Julian Ryder was very touched by um, and within seconds the two just hit it off like they had for, for several years in the Eurosport commentary box, it was brilliant and that was the word, enthusiasm the enthusiasm that they both had as they commentated together just for that 15 minute period was brilliant and you know, and no matter anyone who's doing any kind of job you can you can research it, you can you can pick up the knowledge, you can pick up the uh, um, the history of it, but you can't fake enthusiasm. You you either you either have it or you don't. You either love doing what you're doing or you don't. Um, and there's no question. Just hearing those two, the chemistry they two had and the enthusiasm they had, they just enhanced the product. Um, and com- yes. commentators aren't necessarily there to add to the show; they're here to complement it. And I think if the commentators are taking away from what's going on, if you're noticing the commentators too much necessarily. Sometimes it takes away from what you're trying to watch. But in the case of Julian Ryder and Toby Moody, they certainly enhanced the product with their commentary. And, um, you know, we've, we've, we've watched the Estoril 2006 race multiple times. And 
Dream Rider and Toby Rudy's Eurosport commentary of that adds to that race and adds to the drama oh, of God, it yeah. and the enthusiasm they have for that race. It is one of the great MotoGP races of all time and the commentary contributes to that. Um, so we wish Julian Ryder all the very, very best in what he is not calling his retirement, but he is stepping down as a commentator from MotoGP uh, on BT Sport. We wish him all the very, very best. Uh, right then, let's look ahead then to the final Grand Prix that he'll commentate on. And with all due respect to Moto2 and Moto3, we're not going to talk about those two classes. Championships are decided. It is the hashtag final showdown, uh, as MotoGP are terming it. Um, and the, to be fair, even if it is a long shot, they do do a great job of building up these title finales with the uh, the pre-race uh, photo call between Davizioso and Marquez yesterday. And uh, what's great, Dre, and that, that photo call yesterday proved it with the, the image of them shaking hands pre-race weekend is... You know, we saw, we've seen title finales before with a bit of an edge to them. We saw a kind of a vitriolic title showdown in 2015 uh, between Rossi and Lorenzo. But this is kind of a rivalry that's been built on respect, if nothing else. Isn't that such a rare and beautiful thing these days? Yeah. No ramming into each other in, in a foreign track that nobody cares about. No, no kicking of the side pods. No taking shots about other people's childhoods and... No bitter politics with timesheets on papers. It's actually all been done on the track, and they've all hugged it out and shook hands afterwards. Like It's almost like they respect each other or something. This is terrible, Lewis. They're giving bike riders a bad <laughs> name. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mentioned this on Friday, that like this title fight has been conducted in tremendous spirit and in, in tr tremendous respect. Um, you know, Marquez said it himself, great, great rider, great rival, I think was the quote um, during the photo shoot on Friday. I mean, and, you know, like both of them have got tremendous respect for the other one and uh, a, a mutual appreciation for each other can bring to the table. And it, it's not gotten ugly. They've kept it all on the track. There's been no there's been no spats or incidents. It's all been conducted fairly. There's been no bitterness or resentment there. It's all been, you know, respectful. And that's, I think, what's been genuinely enjoyable compared to maybe 2013 and 15 where there was some bitterness there some some a little bit a little bit of bad feeling you know i know lorenzo wasn't wasn't you know the happiest of people during 2013 obviously we know what happened with 15 mm. um so yeah like it, it's it's been a refreshing change to have a title fight that hasn't had you know media trying to trying to tell a different story than what's been on the table or two riders that have taken matters into their own hands it's just been it's just been a straight dog fight between two of the best riders on the planet and two of the best riders on the planet that happen to have a lot of time for each other it's mm. it's crazy yeah it's the biggest yeah. race of andrade vizioso's life i think it's fair to say this weekend but he, yes. he still seems pretty relaxed about it i kind of because it's really out of his hands uh, andrade vizioso has to win this weekend uh, to have any hope of uh, winning this world championship. Mar Marquez, to win the championship, needs an 11th or better um, this weekend to secure the championship. Um, and Andrea Dizioso, even if that happens, has to win the race. Um, if Marquez is 12th or lower, Dizioso can take the title uh, with a win because even if they were level on points, Dizioso, should he win this weekend, then it would be a 7th of the year, would have the tiebreaker of most race victories. Um, and... As he's kind of proven this season, Dre, whenever we go to a race weekend where we kind of think, oh, yeah, the Ducati won't work there, it sort of does. Um, and Jorge Lorenzo has been quickest today in free practice. And really for Andre Vizioso, in many ways, it's simple for him. He's just got to go up there, try and win the race, and then hope for help. 
Exactly. I mean, that's uh, McDovey knows it's it's win or bust. The, the, there is no other way of describing this. He has to win and then hope that Marquez crashes. I think that's probably the most likely scenario that's going to win Dovey the championship. Um, Marquez just has to guide it home, really, more than anything else. He doesn't have to win this race. Far from it. 11th place is enough for Marquez on this one. But how, how much do you want to bet Marquez isn't thinking that? <laughs> well, <laughs> Probably it's, quite. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Mark Marquez crashed today in free practice. Today, for all oh, the usual day. Today being Friday, yeah, exactly. Today being Friday as we record this, um, and that is count them up. His twenty sixth crash of the year um, across all sessions and all races, um, which is astonishing. That given that it's an eighteen race calendar, just gives you an idea that he's basically averaging out more than a, basically a crash and a half every race weekend, um, which is incredible. Um, but he's kind of said himself he has to just basically go as he knows, go for Marquez and um, you kind of wonder from his point of view if he starts trying to change the game, trying to change his approach that's when mistakes tend to creep in and that's when you can perhaps get knocked off by someone else like Danny Kent in 2015 when you try to become, when you try and change your approach and become too cautious you end up digging yourself a hole that you might not get yourself out of Um, so perhaps for Marquez the safest place for him and the best place for him to be is at the front and to try and go out there and win the race himself. Absolutely. I mean, just don't go full Danny Kevin. I'm just going to hang behind the little Petrucci in 10th place. You know, yeah. this is fine. This is enough. Um, no, I don't think Marquez is going to think that. Marquez is going to think, hey, if the chance is there to win the race, I'm going to try and take it. I think that's what Marquez is going to do. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things where... I don't think Marquez doesn't normally do conservative, um, but he's been able to. I think the newest part of Marquez's game was been able to find the balance. He's in the island. If if Marquez sees a chance to win the race, he'll absolutely go for it, and that's been the beauty of Marquez this season, and that's why he's won six times. So, yeah, I think Marquez. I don't think he's going to play. I don't think he's going to play play conservative. I think he's going to go out there ride his race if the chance comes to take the win he'll go for it if not you know he's always got to do is keep it upright ride within his limits which i think he might have found on friday afternoon which is probably slight <laughs> crash 26 times this season you know find where the limit is once he knows where it is he rides underneath it and that's what he's been doing all year long and that's probably why i think he'll leave this weekend as a I can't believe I'm saying this four-time MotoGP world champion, which is a terrifying thought for us all. And six in all classes as well, if he, if he does it this weekend, which will be incredible. Um, that will be all reviewed next week here on Bike Live, on episode 39 uh, of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101. Before then, though, episode 112 of Motorsport 101. Um, and Dre, um, for once, it's not a gap week uh, in that there is Motorsport on, although... Given the start Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes have made it into Lagos, I'm not so sure you're necessarily looking forward to episode 112 just yet. <laughs> I'm so sorry, what? we got a podcast next week? Um, yeah, like, hey guys, guys, guess what? Who's hyped for the fight for second? Yeah. Anyone? No? Just me then. Gotcha. Yeah, turns out we have the Brazilian Grand Prix this Sunday. Um... It's it's hard to really. I'm not even going to pretend to really give a shit about this one, really, because like there's nothing to play for here, really. The most anticipating fight is who gets second between Sebastian Vettel, who kind of deserves it really for the season he's had, and Valtteri Bottas, who's been painfully mediocre since the summer break. Um, so 
I guess that's a thing. You know, maybe. Who knows? It might rain. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It, it's Brazil. You know, we had rain last year, and it was one of the best races of the year. So, I'm I'm clutching at straws here, if you can tell already. But hey, maybe something exciting will happen, and if not. We'll try and find something anyway. Episode 112 of Motorsport 101 next week. Entertainment might be a bonus. <laughs> yeah, put that in the Sky F1 advert. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> let's hope it's not after the Lord Mayor's show, after the MotoGP uh, title finale. In any, w- w- whatever the case, it's going to be a busy Sunday uh, of motorsport um, from 10 a.m. Moto3 right the way through to 4 p.m. in the Formula 1 Brazilian Grand Prix. Uh, you're pretty much catered for, um, whether you're two wheels or four. Um, so either way it's going to be a, a, an exciting weekend and we will have it all covered across our two shows um, next week as I say episode 112 of Monosport 101 and episode 39 of Bike Life will it be 93 or will it be 04 we shall see um, before then though places you can find us facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 at motorsport one motorsport at motorsport underscore 101 on twitter um, youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 um, if you want to watch Dre's latest Dre brief um, surrounding Felipe Massa, um, our website is modersport101.net. Um, and if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to both of our shows um, for just $5 a month, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. That brings us to the end of episode 38 and the end of the World Super Bike season. A season where Jonathan Ray sent more records tumbling. But in Qatar, the last man standing was Lucas Mahias from the two of us. We'll see you next week.